theyeshiva.net. Six lines from the bottom. You see Chaf, the second column, or page 39. The line starts, Koil Machrezas, Vihine Kujaknasas Yisro. So the summation here is Ish Mazriat Chila Yeledis Nekeva, Isha Mazras Chila, Chazal say, Yeledis Zachar. Spiritually, it represents when it starts off with Isha, which is the Sarusa de la Sata, and that inspires the Sarusa de la Ela. The Isha begins the process, which in Avaidas Hashem means that the Jew initiates the inspiration, trigger, triggers his own arousal works on himself, tries to create momentum, inspiration, commitment within himself. That's Isarusa de Lusata. And that comes first. Then the Isarusa de Laela, the reciprocal response from above, comes from a far deeper, deeper place. And therefore the result is Yoled Zachar, which is the Ahavirabha. The Averabe not lekabel pras, but the Averabe leishtava begufa the malka that he wants to be in the king, and he wants to be absorbed in the essence of the king. If Ishmas riat chila, meaning the Sarusa de la precedes the Sarusa de la Sata, the inspiration begins from above, not from below. So even though afterwards it arouses him, this is called Ishmas riat chila, and then. Because it did not come as a response to his work, but it came as an initial, as an initial trigger. So therefore, the birth is Yeledis Nekeva, Ishmazir Tchili Yeledis Nekeva, which represents the Avazuta to quench one's thirst, not Hishtapchus Hanefesh, like the flame being absorbed in the in the bonfire in the Avuk. When Knesset Yisrael means the community of Jewish souls, is in this madrig of Ish Mazriat Chila that the Ish initiates the process, meaning Isarusa de la Nikras Akora. Knesset Yisrael then has the title of Akora. Akora literally means barren or infertile. Even though we said that even when Ish Mazriat Chila, there's a birth of a Nekeva. And that also is a love. It's called Avazuta. Relative to Avarab, it's a smaller form of love. But there's a child. The child is the love. Emotions represent, are represented by children. Children, generally, in Tarus Amister, represent emotions. Midas. Chachma and Bina are called father and mother. Tati and Mami. Chachma is like the seminal point, the seminal flash of an idea which is like the semen, the seed of life, and then Bina is the development of it, like the mother that takes the seed and uh, conceives uh, fertilizes absorbs and ultimately develops it develops an embryo and then a complete fetus, that's Bina, and then she gives birth to the child which would be represented spiritually by emotions, by Ava that's the child so you have your Yeledis, you have Avazut, and Ikras, Akara, Ke'ilu, any Yeledis, Klaw. Knesset Yisrael is called an Akara, Akara doesn't have birth. Why? 
There's a birth there. The answer is Lafi Shagama Iladazu Lai Nimshik Bam Mitsat Atsmay Day Sarusadullasata Shalom. Because this birth didn't happen as a result of her work. Raksha Nimshachai de Gdimasi Sarusadullah Ayla the Ishmazriat Khila. And therefore credit is not attributed to her. In other words, sometimes in life you're doing something, but it's not really your you because you have been inspired by a by a, a motive, by a, 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 an energy outside of you. So therefore, even though it, awake, it awakened something in you and it triggered you and it inspired you, but ultimately, the person, the Jew himself, is called an akara, Because the birth is not attributed to his or her own kaychas. It's rather another kayach that intervened, meddled in to his life, and influenced him to do it. So at the surface seems very powerful. But on a deeper level, you have to always distinguish between something that really became part of you and something that's not really part of you. To give an example, sometimes people behave in a certain way because they're in an environment where there's a certain energy or atmosphere, ambiance, inspiration. And now it looks like they're part of it. But it's not that they really internalized it. It's just since this is what the atmosphere dictates... So you get sweeped up, so to speak. You get sweeped up in the energy, so it seems like it's one with you. But, let's say this person is plucked out of the environment and placed in a, uh, a completely different environment where they then now have to stand on their own feet. Sometimes everything is gone. Everything is out the window. Hey, what happened? What happened? What happened to you? Nothing happened to me. It was never part of me. I was just part of... I was part of the program. And as, as long as I was part of the program, it worked. Now I'm on my own. On my own, I really never had anything. So that's a very... It's a subtle distinction because you don't always see the differentiation. But you do see it in life when the person has to now stand on their two own feet. Like Rashi says, right? When you take away the match from the wick... <laughs> Is the wick burning? Sometimes it looks like you know you light Hanukkah candles or Shabbos candles, and you're holding the wick to the mat. You're holding the match to the wick. The wick is burning, but the moment you take away the match, the wick is not burning. You did not cause it to burn on its own. You know you're pouring kerosene on a bonfire, right in camp. Now it's camp time, so kids go on the on the on the. On the overnights, what do they call beaver wax? Overnights, so you pour the kerosene, and it looks like there's a huge fire. And if theoretically you have a lot of kerosene or a lot of uh, a lot of twigs or a lot of newspapers, so you could keep it up for a while, but ultimately it's an akara. There's no there's no essential fire. It's not it's not permeated. Huh? Yeah. So the question is when this is so here we're talking even on a deeper level because there is a sarusa de la'ela. We're not talking stamis iris. You know you want to fit into the crowd. I'm just giving a muscle. Here it's even deeper. Here he is internalizing. I mean, it, it's right, it's it's above, right, right, right. Really feeling it. That's true. It's pretty harsh. To, to yes, yes. Well, I wouldn't call it poor. In other words, it's not. It's not. It's not a judgment call. This is not a judgment. It's not a judgment about a person. You know, we're used to that when we give definitions. We're judging people. We're not judging people. He's just describing the mechanism to understand the dynamics. That since it's not something that came from within the person's own system, so they didn't have to work that through. It started with a gift. So because it started with a gift, the person has to be aware of the differentiation between the two realities. Because when the person is aware of the differentiation, they understand what are the ramifications, what are the weak and vulnerable spots that they have. 
etc. There's a yid, his name is the Tolner Rebbe of Rev Itcha Bitzchak Weinberg Schlitter. From the Tolner, from the Tolner Rebbe's. So I heard a story from him once. Very interesting story. He was speaking about. Uh, he was speaking about uh, internalization. So he said that he heard this from a yid who was a Hasidic Jew. I guess from a particular Hasidic. I think he said a Polish Hasid from one of the Polish dynasties. And this Jew shared with him a story that once he had to go with his wife in Eretz Yisrael in Israel, he has to go for some checkup or some little procedure on a Friday. So they went in on Friday, and then there was some complication, and they told him that she has to stay here for Shabbos. They can't go home. So it was Friday afternoon, and he had to be with her, so he was stuck there for Shabbos. Around Lichtenstein time, or Shkia time, he was walking down the corridor of the he was walking down the hallway in the hospital and he came from a very vibrant Hasidic community and a, and a you know, Hasidic house and so forth and he seemed very dejected so you know, he's walking down, he's looking into a room and he sees in one of the rooms, the Talmud Rebbe says he sees an elder Yid a Jew who was obviously elder, had a pretty impressive long white beard so he goes in just to say hi he goes in and uh, and this Yid, who's in bed, sees, he says, you look very down, what's the problem? You look depressed. So he says, I'll tell you the truth. For me, this is no Shabbos. Shabbos coming, and the sun is setting. I don't have my Shtraimel. I didn't go to the Mikveh. I don't have the Shul, no Lechadoidi, no Negunim, no dancing, no singing, no atmosphere. No. It's an Ishkan Shabbos. So I'm stuck here in the hospital, big day choil. I didn't prepare for anything. It's not Shabbos, so it's very hard for me. So this Yid looks at him and he says, Younger man, younger man, let me tell you something. <laughs> let me tell you something. I spent 10 years in Siberia. 10 years in Siberia. This man was, his name was Reb Mendel Futafas. Oh. <laughs> so I knew Reb Mendel Futafas. I'm not going to say well, but pretty well. And he was sent by Stalin's Hevra to the Gulag. And he was there for 10 years. And he says, Younger man, every Friday night, the sun set. <laughs> I was in Siberia. And I didn't have a mikveh, I didn't have a wife, I didn't have my children, I didn't have a siddur, I didn't have a Jew, I didn't have a shul. garnished. But it was still Shabbos. So the Shabbos. <laughs> says, Younger man, it's a Shabbos. So the Talmud Rebbe brought out that something is internalized. He was completely isolated. There was nothing else. So that's it. What's Shabbos? It's Shabbos. So Shabbos, you have an environment. You have the Shtraimel. You have the Bgadim. So it's beautiful. But when a person doesn't have that, what are they left with? So this guy was stuck. He felt that the whole experience wasn't there. So what Emendel was telling him is... You have to sometimes be able to find it within yourself, even though you don't have all the externalities. So even on a more subtle, on a deeper level, this is the vart, that when there's a sarusa de la'ela that triggers everything. So since it didn't come from the person themselves, so therefore there's a certain vulnerability there. And because there's a vulnerability there, the person is called an akara. It's not attributed to her name. Her here means Knesset Yisrael. We now come back to the bracha. 
Sois tosses with Sagala, Karib, Kibbutz, Banal, Saikh, Basimcha. Those are my Vesodil, Karib, Kibbutz, Banal. The Akara will celebrate as her children gather. Pidush, Shav Gam, Kshibib, Chinas Akara, even though she's in a state of Akara. Ela, she's Harusa, the Leila, Makdim, Lover, Loeris, Harusa, the Lasata. If she's in Akara, then there's no children. He asked the beginning of the Maimer, how do you say? If she's an akara, there's no banal. Akara means she's barren. She's infertile. What's that? V'sagil ha'akara b'kibbutz banal. V'sagil a past akara b'kibbutz banal. Now she's not an akara. See, Taichas no. The pshat is even though that the hisarusa de la'ela is what triggered the hisarus malmaton, and therefore you're not dealing with a situation that the person completely internalized the energy. Nonetheless. There's going to be kibbutz boneho. First of all, there will be children. And not only there will be children, boneho is Lashon Zachar, sons, the Shatia Yoledes Zachar. How can this be? He adds one word because there's Simcha. Shaydeya Simcha Shal Mitzvah, Yuchaliyas Pchinazu. Simcha Shal Mitzvah allows there to be this reality, meaning the Afalgav she Ishmazriat Khila, even though it was Ishmazriat Khila, which is why we called her an Akara, because the birth is not attributed to her own inspiration and her own arousal and her own energy and her own experience. It's attributed to a force that came over her, imposed itself on her, or rather triggered her. And therefore there was a birth so you're dealing with a pchina of akara. So number one, l'chayda, you have the chisaran, that it's akara. There's no children that are attributed to her. Number two, even the yeledes is ish, mazriyat chile, yeledes nekeva. But because there's simcha, so simcha makes that v'sagil ha'akara, b'kibbutz banad is children. And not only children, banad meaning averab, because there is simcha. What's the connection? V'inyin, the hinek siv, the pasuk says... In Parshas Kisave, at the end of the Teichicha, at the end of all the rebukes, it says, this is because you did not serve Hashem, your God, with joy and gladness of heart. literally means when you had so much of everything, so now you'll serve your enemy. At first glance, it seems like the Pasuk is saying, the mashmos of the pasuk is that the whole teichecha comes because you didn't serve the rebbeinu shalom with simcha. You served. You were neivad alakim. What was missing? What was missing was the simcha. This doesn't make sense. Just because you were missing simcha and avoda, that's why there should be such harsh consequences. There was. What was missing was the simcha element. So that's why there's such harsh consequences. Well, if you want to ask the question a little differently, by telling a person that if you don't serve me with joy, I'm going to punish you, is that how you inspire joy? <laughs> Let's put it that way. You think a person could become joyous if you tell that to them? What do you think? <laughs> right? Tachas, I tell you, if you're not besimcha, I'm going to punish you. That's how a person can become besimcha. 
reality. Huh? It's a reality. It's not a judgment. Right. Very good. It's not a judgment. If it comes as a judgment, then it's not going to work. Say, if you don't smile right now and you don't, you're not happy. I'm going to smack you up. Okay. So how happy is the person going to become? They'll smile. So they'll, they'll, they'll go like this, right? <laughs> right? So you have to understand the havana here. What's the havana? It's not a judgment call because if it's going to be that, I'm not going to be able to make simcha for a person. Like you'll say, uh, you know, uh, I'll hurt you, and I'll say part of the part of their say vahavtas Hashem alakecha. So what does vahavtas Hashem alakecha? Vahavtas Hashem alakecha means you should love Hashem. If you're experiencing Hashem as somebody who is chalila, uh, not your uh, is somebody who's is not interested in your benefit, not interested in your in your happiness. So they say love to to, to say, and you have to love me. That's that. That's a very difficult thing. It's a very harsh thing to say. You know, I'm I'm, I'm bothering you. I'm, I'm I'm causing you pain, and part of it is because you don't say you love me. Now say you love me. So what type of love is it? The same is here. You say the avodas Hashem was there. There wasn't simcha, and therefore the consequences are so harsh. And you want a person should be besimcha from that. So he says like this: Achayin the pshat is. Shloima HaMelech says in Kaihelas, there's no human being in the world who doesn't make mistakes. Ain't Sadik Baritz, even at Sadik. It's a very important idea. Ain't Sadik Baritz, Ashayasat Toivaloyach. In other words, mistakes are part of the plan. A human being makes mistakes, huh? Part of the growth. Part of what? Part of growth, part of growth. That's what Shleim HaMelech says. Ain Sadik Ba'aretz Ashayasa Toivala Yachta Koyhelas Perik Zayim Umach Mazen Nimshech Oynesh And therefore, when we speak about Oynesh, it's basically the consequence of human imperfection. Oynesh represents, even at Sadik, it represents the fact that life is filled with Errors and trials and tribulations and mistakes that people make. But then there's the Kayach of Simcha. When a person serves Hashem with the joy of a mitzvah, the power of Simcha is it arouses Simcha Lamaila. It arouses Simcha Bavihim and that nullifies all judgments. Because in the light of the presence of the king, there's always life. Therefore, if there's no simcha, it's not pshat, the oinish is because there's no simcha. It's pshat is because life is full of mistakes. That's the fact. Ain't sadik baritz. And when there's mistakes, there's consequences. And that's part of the story of life. Oynish here doesn't mean oynish as we, again, the word oynish you have to be sensitive with. Because we, when we hear the word oynish, we often attribute it with vengeance. I'm going to punish you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you who's boss. Oynish here means the consequences for the benefit of the person. That they need, to, they need to learn something, they need to cleanse, they need to mature, whatever it is. So there's always, every person has that. Every person has 
things they do, things they do imperfectly, things they don't do because of their imperfections. And there's always consequences. And from the consequences, a person grows, a person learns. It's not that because there's no simcha there was a noinash. Not you weren't besimcha, therefore I'm punishing you. No, the oynish has to do because the nature of life is that there's no perfection by any person. So you learn and you grow. Elamai, if there would have been an inyan of simcha, simcha has a koyach to change dynamics. He says it would be ma'orir a simcha lamail, and that's mavatal dinim, as we'll see. Al derech zayuven kam kan here too. Everything that we explained before. We explained that there's a profound distinction between Ish Mazriya or Ish Mazras. If the child is male or female, this is only when the divine energy comes forth in the system. And in the order of what's called Hishtal the evolution of the worlds, shall be Maimer Kav HaMidah. Based on the Maimer, the instructions of Kav HaMidah, Kav means a line, Midah means measurement. It's basically like a Kav HaMidah, so to speak, what we would call a measuring stick, a parameter. Shekachi HaMidah. The Rebbeinu Shalolim creates a system of how energy flows into the world. So there's a Midah. What's the Midah? Sheim Isha Mazras, Tchilav Achshar Dari. If the Isha triggers the inspiration and Akshardar Akshardar is an expression in Gemara and Yavamas Akshardar the generations are kosher meaning it starts off with that's called Akshardari the generation is kosher in other words there's inspiration from below automatically there will be from a much deeper place and the result will be a male if it's not Akshadari and there's no Isarusadlasata, in other words, Ish Mazriya, then what's the Mida? What's the established system? The arousal from above only comes from a more external space. And therefore the birth is on the cave. It depends if the Isarusadullah comes from Pnimiya Saint Saif or from Kitsainiya Saint Saif. Whenever it comes from Pnimiya Saint Saif, there's an Averab. When it comes from Chitsainiya Saint Saif, there's an Avazut. And we understand why. Avazutta means, what do I want? I want a relationship with you. But I want to be there to enjoy the relationship. The only way I could be there to enjoy the relationship is if the Ziv HaShchina, not the Shchina itself. Pnimiya Saint Saif is what? Lishtava Begufa the Malka. I want you, even though in the you there won't be a sense of I, there won't be a distinct I. Nonetheless, I want you. The question is, what element of elokos are you experiencing? When somebody gets chitzonius of elokos, it's much geschmacker in many ways. Why? Because they're there to enjoy. They could wrap their brain around it. When it's pnimius of elokos, there's no ego left. There's no ego left. In many ways, a person has to be capable of a much deeper conviction and awareness. I want you, I want the Iker, I don't want the Tafel, even though the Iker means that there's no I. Nafshi v'sich is only Balayla. But I want. I don't want Laila. I want complete, I want to complete you. So therefore, it really depends on what element of godliness the person is experiencing. If a person experiences the Pnimius of the Ein Saif, then it's almost no choice. They're not going to choose the Tafel. 
because they know that they're not going to choose the drop instead of the ocean, the tip instead of the kionis. But if they only experience the chitzonius, so in the chitzonius, that's what they're looking for. That's what they want. They want zivashchina. This is what they're experiencing. This is what they're feeling. So this is all based on the midah, on kava midah. Mashen kinai dey simcha shal mitzvah. When there's simcha, what happens when there's simcha? Shema oirer pchinnes simcha al yoyna. When a person is besimcha, it creates an arousal of simcha above. Shasimcha goyrim hagilui. What happens when there's simcha in life? Simcha creates gilui. Gilui means a breakdown of barriers, of boundaries, emergence, gilui, revelation. Vuhu shaha oir bav and nimshach me atzmos hamatzil, betoisviz veilui rav shaloi kederich besedir adrag. The light comes from the essence of the emanator of the light with tremendous increase and momentum, not according to the regular evolutionary process. Al-Derich Dugma, take an example by a person. You have a king of flesh and blood. And here he speaks about a king because he wants to bring out a person who's aloof, who's segregated, who's sublime, who's an aristocrat. But what happens when he's in a moment of tremendous joy? He goes out of his parameters, out of his fences. The limitations of his midas. He can emerge. He can be megala himself to a child, just like a gadol in an identical way. In other words, simcha causes him to be able to humble himself and to be childlike. When a person is not in a state of simcha, what happens? They're more closed up. And therefore the regular defense mechanisms that exist continue to exist. I talk to you, I don't talk to you, I feel comfortable with you, I don't feel comfortable with you. Everything is bahagbala. What does simcha do? Simcha removes barriers, it removes boundaries. The expression simcha pirates gather. And therefore, in a time of simcha, you see, even a person who's not talkative usually... If it's a real simcha, suddenly they're talking in a way that you didn't hear them. Things they usually won't say, they'll say. People they, uh, you know, had a coldness to, they're suddenly very warm. Why? Because what happens is, simcha reaches into a place that transcends all of the defenses, transcends all of the parameters, all of the boundaries, and therefore, a much deeper part of them could come out, and it can come out uninhibitedly, without limitations. What Simcha accomplishes is that all the divine energies get connected, they get mixed up, they get integrated. There's no distinction between higher and lower, between right and left. And then what happens? So even the Akara, the Jew, who only gets inspiration because the Sarusa de la is called an Akara, she gathers her sons. Why she Because what Simcha Shal Mitzvah does is, it's Ma'ayr Simcha. Since it's Ma'ayr Lamayla Simcha, all the boundaries, all the Midas, all the Hadragas Abat, all the Madregas Abatl, 
all the madregas, so to speak, all the defenses, all the boundaries, all the boundaries. So even the madregas and the system, the structure, the structures get obliterated. The structures get removed. The structures get eliminated. It shakes up all the structures. Once that happens, so therefore, even though there's a meter, there's a structure, that that, and what is it? That when Isarusa the La'ela starts, it is initi- Isarusa the La'ela initiates the process. The flow of energy that comes down is ultimately the Chitzainius of Einsoif, which is Yeladis Nekeva. That's all as long as there's no Simcha. Bishaz, there's Simcha, what does Simcha do? There may be imperfections. That's the Tachas HaShalevadatas Hashem HaLekecha B'Simcha Tov Levov. Even though there's the regular imperfections that come from life, ain't sadik ba'aretz. Asher yasa toivelo yechta. But what does simcha accomplish? Simcha is mavatel all the dinim. Why is simcha mavatel all the dinim? Because when a person is besimcha, it generates in all of the worlds a joy. Because it generates even lamaila joy. Once there's a joy, so then the regular hagbalas quit per quo. Person does this. This is the consequence. Person does that. This is the consequence. What Simcha does is, it's mevatel dinin. What's din? Din means structure. Not bad. Din is not bad. Din just means the rule of law. Kavamida. There's a system. There's a structure. Just like this, the structures of, of science, of nature. You can't define. You go out in a cold day, you get a cold. You put your finger in a... St- there's, there's, there's the cause and effect. There's also cause and effect spiritually. There's cause and effect psychologically. Everywhere there's cause and effect. There's a system kavamida. What simcha does is by a person, you see, it removes the general definitions that we have. This is who I am. This is who I'm not. With simcha, you learn that who you thought you were, maybe you're not. And who you thought you weren't, you were. Don't take yourself so seriously. It was based on a certain perception of structure. But there's a deeper self that transcends structure. Your, your infinite self, maybe. Your infinite self. Kevayachal. Simcha brings out the infinity of the Ein Saif. And therefore, even with Ish Mazriya Tchila, it could be Bekibbutz Banai Lasecha because of the meaning of Simcha. So Bekibbutz Banai is because your Banai showed Simcha? Yeah. It's not, wow, now you'll be Simcha. Right. Simcha is what caused it. V'sagil ha'atara, Bekibbutz Banai Lasecha. Why? Because there was Simcha. Because there was Simcha. Because there was Simcha. Because there was Simcha. Through Simcha, you go out of all the Hagabalas, of all the Hagadars. So Sibcha has a very powerful quality to it. What's the quality, he says, Sibcha? When a person is joyous, it's ma'ir simcha l'maylek v'ayachal. A person is like a mirror. There's a famous uh, explanation from the, the Vatitshavar. It comes from the Baal Shem Tev. We say in, in Tehillim, Shilamalas esa'enei elahorim e'ayin yovayezri. Right? Hashem Tzilcha means Hashem is your shadow. What does it mean Hashem is your shadow? So Alpipshat it means, you know, we bask or we sit in the protection of the shadow. It's a hot, scorching day with the heat is really affecting you. So we we sit in the shade. So God is your shade, Hashem Tzilcha. Baal Shem Tov said there's a deeper interpretation. 
quite a daring interpretation, and that is the shadow responds to you. I move my hand and the shadow moves. I move my leg and the shadow moves. I walk and the shadow moves. The shadow, so to speak, is a result. It's a response to me. It's, it's affected by my movement. So he says, Hashem Tzilcha. Hashem is your shadow. The movements of a person in this world, the way a person lives in this world, it doesn't only impact him. Kivayachal, it impacts Hashem Tzilcha. Hashem is your shadow. He says here that simcha of a person is ma'orer simcha l'mayla kavayachal. It's ma'orer simcha. Because it's, there's such a deep, powerful connection. There's a, there's a, there's a mission in Pirkei da ma l'mayla mimach. Know what is above you. So the Magad of Mizrich says, da, no, ma l'mayla mimach. Everything that happens l'mayla is from you. Ma l'mayla mimach. Now, this, is, this has very profound ramifications because basically means that the human being is not just, you know, a little, a little creature simply responding to forces above him and then having some choices, like the Gemara says, But it means that the human being is so deeply connected. He is like the link between heaven and earth. The, at the vortex of existence, the human being is like... You know the, the the eye of the storm. You ever saw the eye the eye of the storm, right right in the middle of the whirlwind, the center of the whirlwind, literally at the vortex of reality, and therefore all of reality is affected. <coughs> all of reality is affected by the person. So he says, when a human being is besimcha, it's ma'orir simcha l'mayla kevayachal. It creates a mood of simcha. It creates an atmosphere of simcha. A person's thoughts, a person's moods, a person's dispositions, a person's energies, and of course a person's behaviors impacts not only the cosmos, it impacts the... The reason it impacts the cosmos is because it impacts Kevayochel, the source of the cosmos, the energy of the cosmos. Hashem Tzilcha. Hashem is your shadow. And that's a very... That has very dramatic implications about what a person's... is The power of a person's moods, the power of a person's thoughts a person's disposition, a person's character. Da ma'la mi mach. And it's really very different than the literal interpretation of the Mishnah. Da ma'la ma'la mach. Know what is above you. In other words, it's the idea of there's something above you. It's not a world of anarchy. There's something above you. And this is even before Google. With Google, we understand that there's an but even before Google, BCE, uh, uh, there's an and knows even more than Google if you could conceive that something knows more than Google because today we're not sure that they, there's something that they don't know it's a big suffolk there used to be, there was a place called a private place there were places that were called private and halacha also we know that there's no such a thing anymore people are in a bathtub and they're still texting they're still reading their email and other places but so this is a very powerful idea there's a very interesting, there's a, there's a cute anecdote to illustrate this idea. Hashem Tzilcha Dama Lamay Lamimach. There was this, there was this, it's a good lesson in life too. There was this Jewish kid, he needed Parnassah. So he saw a classified ad that the Indians need a new chief. They need a chief. So he decides to apply, he had a darker complexion, came from a nice, uh, 
background with a, a handsome, dark complexion. So he can apply, and he, he approaches them, and he says, you know, I come from Indians, Medoida Doidas, and I can apply as a chief. Great, they interview him, he seemed very suitable for the job. He got his job. As an Indian chief, they ask him an important question, and that is if he could predict what will be the weather during the forthcoming winter. They have to know. This is a place without technology, without all of the modern uh, you know, mecha, me, the, uh, technology that we have. So what is he going to say? So he looks up to the stars, the Indian chief looks up to the stars, and he predicts it through the stars. So Yiddishkin, he didn't, he, maybe he knows how to read uh, some stuff, but not the stars. So he tells, he gives them a pot of answer. He says, it's from the stars, it seems like that it's going to be somewhat of a cold winter. You know, when you say somewhat, it doesn't mean anything. It's like, you know, it's one of those words that it's nish milchiks, nish fleishiks. Okay, so they start collecting some wood. He sneaks out at night and he goes to a nearby town where there's a public phone. You remember the public phones? Aleyem HaShalem. He puts in a dime or a quarter and he calls the Washington Weather Bureau. He says, what's going to be this winter? They say it's going to be cold. So he comes back to the Indian. He says, he looked in the stars again, and he sees that there's a little shift. It's going to be cold. Wow. This is the first time that the Indian chief changed. So now they start collecting more lumber to be able to warm their bones during the cold winter. A week later, he sneaks out. He calls the bureau. They tell him it's going to be very cold. <laughs> he goes back. He changes now the prediction, and now they are collecting lumber in much larger quantities because they expect a tremendous cold. Every sneaks out again. They tell him the next week is going to be excruciatingly cold. Wow. So now they're frantic. Men, women, children gathering all day wood because of this excruciating cold that's going to befall them. They push it, should not freeze to death from the pending winter. The next week he goes out, he calls the weather bureau. And they tell him it's going to be the coldest winter in U.S. history. At this point, he plots us. He tells the guy, you know, you can't drive me mad this way. First I call you, you tell me it's cold. Then the next week, very cold. Then the next week, excruciatingly cold. Now you tell me the coldest winter in the history of the U.S. Why you keep on changing? He says, I'll be very honest with you. You think we know anything about the weather? We know nothing about the weather. All we know is that this year, the Indians are collecting wood like crazy. <laughs> so based on that, we predict our winters. Right? <laughs> so here you have a classic example. Da mala maila mimach. You're really making the... You're the macher. But you're the humble thing. You don't even know it. You think you're a humble victim, a recipient. Really, it's all coming from you. <laughs> you're the one who stirs up the pot. So that's a very, it's a, it's a fundamental idea in life to understand the deep resources, the profound energy that a human being has in terms of defining reality. So simcha is not just your besimcha. It creates a reality of simcha. even transcending the kavamida. What simcha does to us Simcha does on every single level. You see, when people are besimcha, a lot of things change. When people are in a good mood, when people are in a happy mood, you see it in relationships, right? Things that we wouldn't forgive when we're tense. When you're tense, everything is with boundaries. But I don't know, boundaries is a good thing, but boundaries in the sense of limitations. Everything has its place, and you remain stuck in a certain orbit, and you don't leave it. That's the opposite of simcha. There's certain 
boundaries or gvulim or midas that a person remains in. This is who I speak to, this is who I'm comfortable with, this is who I deal with. What Simcha does is it triggers a much deeper space in the person, so to speak, the infinity of a person, or the core of a person, which is much more free. It's much, uh, it's much less inhibited. Like he says, even a melech, basav adam, in a time of simcha, he'll connect, he'll hug, he'll embrace a cotton. You see when people, simcha, right? they'll embrace people they usually won't embrace. They'll speak freely, they'll speak about things they usually don't speak. They're less guarded. Now, some people do it through different methods. They're desperate to go out of their boundaries, so they do it through various methods that we're all familiar with. And uh, these are methods in order to make them forget who they are. A person is inebriated or a person is high for whatever substances, so momentarily he feels joy. But that's not called simcha shal mitzvah. That's a simcha that confuses your senses. When you're confused, you speak what you speak. But inebriation doesn't last. That's the problem. The problem is you go on a high, but then you go on a low, and the low may be very profound. Of course, simcha itself could come from Mitzvah come from Mitzvah of course. Like everything in life. Sometimes you're given a moment is a, a unique glow of simcha, sometimes not. They say, Simcha binem of pshischa. Simcha binem of pshischa. As I had said before, he was, a, he, was a, a soich, he was a merchant. He was in Leipzig. Leipzig is in Germany. It was a city they did you know, a lot of yurids, a lot of markets there. That's what they say. I read once a story. He was in Leipzig, and he was at the river bank, and there was a Jew swimming there. Simchabin did not know how to swim, and the man was alone. There was nobody there in the river or the sea, and he's swimming, and suddenly the man is screaming. He's drowning. There was an undercurrent, and it schlepped him away, and uh, he's desperate. And Simchabin doesn't know what to do. To jump in and save him, he won't be able to. He'll drown himself. You know, you have to know how to save somebody from the waters, and it's not Pashat, because he schleps you down. Chalil. On the other hand, to do nothing, what a, watch a man die, and he, there was nobody around to call for help. So, at the moment, he tells the Jew, I've said in Yiddish, and I'll translate, he says, when you get down, when the gays start up, shik send my love to the Levyasim. Send my warm regards to the Levyasim. So the Yiddish, he laughed, and he gained strength, point. and he got out. Uh, buoyancy. Huh? He got buoyancy. Buoyancy. What do you say? Buoyancy means also. Buoyancy. Energy. Yeah, a lack. Yeah, a chios, a, a vitality, and he got out of it. He saved himself. So Reb Simchabinim said that he needed, he needed the laugh. He needed the laugh to get an extra dose. He just needed an extra dosage of energy. Huh? Expand his lungs, very well. That's a doctor speaking. You have to expand his lungs, so then uh, everything changes. So that's what he said. So the truth is that in life it's like that. In life it's like that. Everyone is always, you know, life, life a person could drown in the waters of life. Mayim Rabbim. Mayim Rabbim. So Simcha allows a person to remain above the waves, not to get completely submerged in the waves of life. When a person is besimcha, it creates simcha lamayla also. When it creates simcha lamayla also, the regular patterns of existence, known as the maimer kava midah, the kava midah, opens up, it expands. So to speak, to use the metaphor, the divine lungs also expand. 
So therefore, a whole new, new passages are created, new channels are opened up, new entities are opened up, new energies come in. So what happens is the person becomes aware of new energy that they had before. It's not that it's, 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 they have to create new energy. It was there, but without Simcha it gets blocked up or was much more limited or is much more restricted. And with Simcha the channels grow, the pipes are expanded, the Tzinoiris, the Tzinoiris are broadened. Not only Lamata, that's the Chiddush even Lamaila, even Lamaila Kevayachal, relative to, I mean, we don't understand exactly how it works Lamaila, but that's what he says, that the regular spiritual rules of existence are transformed, are metamorphosized. And therefore, even the Akara, there's Bekibbutz Bonea why? Because there was a concept of Simcha, an experience of... Uh, of Simcha. Is the change in the Lamaila, is the change that this person now becomes the same as the person who would have had Isarus Lutata in the first place? That's a wonderful question. At this point it would seem that the change is Lamaila, but later it's going to be Mashma that there's also this point. It's not just that this change is Lamaila, but that this person as a result of Simcha, it's as though he would have started with Isarus Lutata. So I think Hava Ha is Nuhubay. I think both are very valid. That's a question somebody asked. They're asking, what type of Simcha? Listen, Simcha itself, like everything, Simcha itself operates on so many different uh, levels and, and, and can express itself in so many different ways can be triggered from different causes and can manifest in, in different fashions in a person's life. Of course. Yeah, always. What comes from a Sarusat has a power because it's extremely it has an authenticity to it. It has a pnimius to it. What comes from a person himself is always much deeper because you have to work through the system. You have to work through your own system. It's also much more everlasting. As we discussed, could be fleeting, you know. But this is this is true about all simcha, all simcha shal mitzvah. Yeah, of course, there's lower levels of simcha, there's higher levels of simcha, there's, de- there's deeper simcha, but this is all forms of simcha. All forms of simcha. So now let's go right to inside. Vizel shanam of action. You see, the line starts shanam of action on 40. We continue. Vizel shanam of action. This is what we ask. We say in the Sheva Brachas. So he said in the beginning of the Maimer that the word Tosis in Lashon Kodesh has two different interpretations, known as Poyal Oymed and Poyal Yotze. One is we're talking about the Akara herself. The, the barren woman should rejoice. And one is Poyal Yotze. We're talking to Hashem. You should bring joy to the Akara. So he says, Through the Simcha of Mitzvah. The Simcha that a joy has in Mitzvah. Milmata below. The word Besimcha is already in the beginning of the Baracha. She should rejoice. V'sagel, there should be a simcha. And it's tosses v'sagel, it's going on the akara. She should rejoice herself. 
This brings out a simcha by Hashem. And through this, you, Hashem, will bring even more joy to the Akara. So both Pirushim are equally valid. It starts off with Sois Tosis, Vesagal Akara, and Diktuk Tosis, Vesagal Akara, the Akara herself should be Tosis. But Tosis also has a meaning, Poyal Yotze, that Hashem will cause the Akara to be Sameach. So he says, through Simcha Shal Mitzvah, you cause that kara to be sameach. What's pshat? Vuinyan misameach tziyon bivana. You finish misameach tziyon bivana with her sons to give the yoledes zochar the pnimius of ein soif, which allows there to be avera, but not only avazuta. So sois tosses v'sagel akara, and this causes that kibbutz banal soicha because of the simcha. Are you calling her an akara? We explained what's an akara. An akara here means spiritually speaking that she's a product of Isarusa de la Eila. And nonetheless, because there was Tosis, because there was Simcha, this kibbutz banal l'soicha m'sameach tziyayin b'vaneha. V'lachein ha'idei ha'simcha gamkin la'yi yibchines v'avadata yasevech. This explains, we learned before, it says in Kisavai, that the whole Teichich is because you weren't over Hashem b'simcha v'tuv le'vav, and therefore v'avadata yasevech, because you didn't serve God with joy, you're going to serve your enemy. So you asked before, just because a Jew wasn't besimcha, therefore you end up serving your enemy. So before he explained that it's not pshat that you're getting punished for a lack of simcha. No. Every person has their own chesroinus and avoida that exists. Ain't tzadik baritash Nonetheless, if there would have been simcha, simcha changes all of the dynamics. Simcha changes even imperfections. Simcha is mavatal, all of the dinim, all the quit per quo is mavatal. But now we come to even a deeper element. Through Simcha, there won't be Vavadata, Sevecha, Shekolpchin, is Hashinuyim. All changes. Unifila, Me'avoides Hashem. People fall in their Avoides Hashem. Migadlus Lekhatnos. From a higher state of consciousness to a smaller state of consciousness. Gadlus means expansive consciousness. Katnus means primitive consciousness. Small mindedness, narrow mindedness. Gamma Nefila Betaivis. Or also when a person falls into addiction to habits, to uh, inclinations and cravings, and they fall, they like fall into an abyss. This is all the meaning in the Torah you're going to serve your enemy. Serve your enemy doesn't only mean physically. On a spiritual level it means serve your enemy means that you become a victim, you become subjugated. You're not a free human being anymore. You're an evid of your enemy. You're a slave to your own addictions. Where is there a greater form of slavery? You're a slave to yourself, but which part of yourself? Not your higher self, your smaller self. You're a slave to your moods, to your sluggishness. That's what he says, you come from a godless, you fall into katnus, and you become an evet. You can't get out of it. Or nefila betaivis. Kol rak tachas This is all because there was no avadis Hashem besimcha. What does this mean? The person was in a state of yesh misha'ayev. Yesh misha'ayev means there's somebody who loves. There's a yesh, there's somebody who loves. Yesh misha'ayev masik. There's somebody that he loves and comprehends. Which is ultimately legarme, it's for himself. And from here a person falls. If a person has the ability to be sameach, with Hashem, there will not be these changes, all these changes in the Philis. 
What is the Balatanya telling us here? In life, every person knows there's tremendous shinuyim. Life is full of fluctuations. One day a person could be on top of the world, and the same person a day later, 24 hours later, or I'm actually being benevolent, an hour later, or maybe a few minutes later, depends on uh, your structure in the brain, a person could go through a tremendous state of katnos. This is what we call nefila. A person falls, a neufel. A neufel, he falls. Sometimes there's a small nefila, sometimes there's a large nefila. Sometimes an affiliate you think you can't get up from. But this is the process of life. You're serving God and now suddenly you're serving your enemy. Who's your enemy? Your enemy could be the enemy within yourself. The part of you that you that you struggle with. Your own demons, your own skeletons, your own ghosts, your own enemies. The enemy within you, you become a slave to that. Where does Simcha, why is Simcha so effective? He says generally the tremendous nephilus happened because there is what's called when there's simcha b'ashem lo they say from Reb Nachman of Breslov that he says Friday night we say in the Mizmoyrim of Shabbat the, the Arizal Institute to say the six kapitlach tehillim before Mizmer before lechadoidi right Hashem Hashem Malach Mizmer etc till Mizmer Ladavid. The reason is each one corresponds to one of the days of the week. I don't know if you look on a Sunday, a Shir Lashem is Monday. And over Shabbos you reflect on each day of the week during the six Kapitel Tilim and you could sublimate what happened during the week. And then you enter into L'Chadoidi and then you do Mizmer Shiloyama Shabbos after L'Chadoidi, which is the seventh the seventh day of the week. And this is, the, this Inshadon to Kabbalah Shabbos is not from Halacha, it's not from Gemara, it's not from Halacha. This came from the Arizal, from Tzvas. It became universal. It's one of the things that Mamish became universal, I think. I think every single Kehillah does Kabbalah Shabbos, Dizmiz Mairim. But it's not mentioned in Chazal or in Rishonim. So, uh, as far as I know. So, therefore, there's a lot. Nachman says like this there's a line over there we say, right, The rivers will clap their hands. Together, the mountains will dance. So, he said as follows. What's the pshat? <coughs> says when a person is in a good mood, so they project that mood on other people. They want everybody to be in a good mood, and they think everybody's in a good mood because they—that's where they are. When a person is in a miserable mood, so they project that on other people. Say there was a guy who owned a company, he had a business, and he had a horrible voice. So when business was going well, he was quiet. When business was going was going down the drain, he would sing. So one of his employees asked him, he said, usually people sing when they're happy. He says, you don't understand. I have a horrible voice. When I'm happy, I want everybody to be happy. So I keep my mouth shut. When I'm miserable, I want everybody to be miserable. So I start singing, and I know the whole office becomes miserable. They all get into a grouchy mood for my singing. So he says, a person, you know, is this, this youngster full of promise and hope, and they're on top of the world, and they come to the rivers or the mountains, and you imagine that the rivers are singing with you. The mountains are singing with you. You know, the the soul of the poet who goes out and he imagines the trees are having a conversation with him. Everyone is having a conversation. The moon, the stars, the whole cosmos is aligned with his mood. So the river looks at you and says, young man, young man, relax. Come back in a week <laughs> when your girl drops you and let's see what your mood is going to be then. Now you're on top of the world. <laughs> you, you got this, you got that. Come back in a week. Let's see what's happening. In other words, the rivers don't get deceived <laughs> by your momentary high. He says, but Shabbos 
is Mayen Yom Shakule Shabbos Amenuchas. He says, Now Naharisim Chauchaf Yachan Harmir Aneno. Now the rivers clap along their clap their hands and the, the mountains dance because they feel that the joy of Shabbos is not a temporary high, but it's rather something very deep and therefore nature will respond. Nature will respond if it feels it's authentic. If it's just you're going through your stages and tomorrow you're going to change, okay. So on Shabbos you could say Nahari Simcha, that's what David HaMelech asks, there should be a time that Nahari Simcha Chaf, Yachad Armyaneinu, because it'll be Lefnei Hashem Kiva, Kiva Lishpaitaretz. I'll call upon him. What's the, what's the key to avoid Nefila? What's the key that he says here to avoid Nefila? Very interesting distinction he makes. If a person lives life legarme for themselves, or a person doesn't live life legarme. Which in simple words perhaps means this. When a person lives life legarme, in other words, it's ultimately about only themselves. Yesh Misha Oyev. So then, because of that, the person can also is also very vulnerable to experience a downfall in life, a nefila in life. Why? Because the I goes through so many different changes. So today I'm here, today I'm there. Yesterday I was here, tomorrow I'll be here. This happens, that happens. person goes through different hasagas. What was clear yesterday is confusing today. What's, what's certain today is uncertain tomorrow. A person goes through different dispositions, different modes, different character, character, fluct- different... Uh, uh, there's a roller coaster. There's a roller coaster in the human psyche. What's the remedy for it? represents the whole fact that a person goes through all of these shinuyim and suddenly I'm serving my enemy. What does it mean I'm serving my enemy? I am serving the enemy within myself. I am a victim to the lowest parts of myself, or as he says, nefila and taivis or whatever it is. When a person, however, remembers the concept of simcha b'ashem, what's simcha b'ashem? Simcha b'ashem means, practically, that a human being realizes that it's not just where I am right now, or who I am right now. But a human re- being realizes that God needs me, and that I'm always connected to Hashem, and I always have a relationship with Hashem. And, if we could put a little bit endearing words, I'm now in a moment of taivus, of nefila. I may not believe in Him, but what's more important is that He believes in me. I may not believe in Him, but I... He believes in me. This gives a person a simcha that transcends the momentary nefila. All nefilas happens to be because I'm focused on where I am. And where you are is very complicated. Where you are, you get it gets very complicated where a person is. So if you stay with that, yeah, you're going to have ups, you're going to have downs. Hopefully you'll have an up again. But it could take a long time. When a person knows wherever they are, they're still connected and they celebrate the relationship. Simcha Bashem. So ultimately, that anchors them in a space that they remain deeply connected to the source. You know, the Mice is very interesting. Rebbeir Primishlana used to go to the mikveh every day. From the Bik Tzadikim. So there was a town where he lived. And the path to the mikveh went through a mountain, a slope. So in the winter, when uh, you know Eastern Europe, uh, where he lived, 
you know, the ice frost, you can't walk on the mountain, you slip, so people had to go around, which was a much longer path. But he used to go up the mountain and down, would go to the mikveh. So there were a few youngsters in the town who weren't very fond of him, and they used to mock him. So uh, they once came to him, and uh, they said, you know, people say that uh, this great sitkas of yours, that you can go on the slope down, but we'll do the same thing, we'll show you. So they went, and one of them slipped and hurt himself very badly, whatever happened, or he broke a leg, or hurt himself very badly. So he asked him, he said, how is it that you do this every day, you don't slip? So he said, If you're tied above, if you're connected above, you don't fall below. Meiril is connected above. The shayla is what a person has to hold on to, during a moment of nefila. So if their whole Avaidah Hashem is only focused on the self, yesh misha oyev, ligarme, for me, even for spiritual reasons, but now you're not having, you don't have a moment of vekas. You're not feeling me, you're not feeling anything. If the whole tachos was kirvas alakim li toiv, I want to experience. I'm not having any experience, so now it's not worth it. The Gemara says about Acher, why did he leave Yiddishkeit? You know why? Because he heard a baz, big toysvus on it, he heard a baskel, that he is not welcome into Elam Haba. So Acher said to himself, if no Elam Haba, at least Elam Haza. <laughs> if no Elam Haba, enjoy life! You have a ticket! Turned from an old chassid, he says, "What's the nekuda of chassidus?" Really very deep. He said, "Acher said, if no elam haba, if no elam haba, at least elam haza." He said, "The nekuda of chassidus, if no elam haba, at least no elam haza." Think about it. Acher said, "No elam haba, elam haza." What do I need this for? I'm going to be in a relationship with somebody that I cannot chap. I cannot grab. Get out of my life. So now you have an afila. You have taivas. You have an afila. That's because it's all on the first level. Ligarme, yesh, mishayev. Me, 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 me. Me, spiritual. A good me. But me. Bishas, a person understands that life is about a relationship with truth. So you're having an afila. So what? So you can't be connected to truth. So you'll be humbly connected to truth. If it's all about my experience, if I'm not having the experience, I'm out. Let me give my least favorite example, marriage. (laughs) If the marriage is what? You want the benefit of the marriage. Now your spouse is a little upset at you for whatever reason, good reason, bad reason. That's not, every person has shinuyim, right? They say, what do I need this for? I don't need this for. So you also get into a moment of nefillah. And people, there's a strange, but there's alienation. But if a person understands that sometimes a relationship means just be present, just show up. You don't have to always ask, what am I getting? You're connected to something real. You're connected to something true. Marriage is a sacred institution. When you're here for your spouse, you're here for God. Show up. Show up. That's what Simcha Bashem means. Simcha Bashem means it's the joy of knowing that I'm in a relationship with Hashem. Why does a relationship always mean me? Ask not. <laughs> Ask not. 
Ask not what God can do for you. Ask what you can do for God. That's the difference. Avazuta means, what can God do for me? Spiritually, I'm not only talking, I'm not talking even a very sophisticated type of ligarme. We're not here talking about a, a, a brute person who just sees God as, you know, the, the ticket the, the, the ticket to the lottery. <laughs> the ticket to the lottery ticket. But even the ticket to the spiritual lottery ticket. Ask not what he, if it's what he can do for me. He's not doing anything for me. So Achir said, at least Bye bye. Have a good day. So Hashem begins that even in a moment of nefila. So a person is in a moment of nefila. A person is in a moment of shinuyim. What maintains that the changes should not overwhelm them? The changes should not destroy them? This is the union of Simcha. Because what is Simcha? Simcha is actually an experience of transcendence. Simcha, the more a person is busy with themselves, you'll see, when a person is self-conscious, they can't be besimcha. Conversely, when a person is besimcha, they're not self-conscious. When a person is self-conscious, it's very hard to be besimcha. And also, when you're besimcha, you're not self-conscious, because simcha essentially is an experience of transcendence. That's the second nekuda you said. It's not just simcha creates no laws, lamaila. Simcha itself is a form that transcends the legarme. And therefore, simcha break, creates bekibbutz bonel seicha. There's no shinuim, there's no vavadata sevecha. That's the toichicha. You had Avodah Hashem, but there was no Simcha. What there was no Simcha? It was ultimately a selfish Avodah Hashem. You weren't celebrating the relationship. You were just enjoying the benefits you had. You weren't celebrating the fact that you have the merit to be connected to this truth. It was about what you can get out of it. That's not a union of Simcha Shal Mitzvah. It's what you can get out of it. We may call it Simcha because I'm enjoying it. But the real concept of Simcha is saying the Simcha Bashem. The ability, the merit that you have to be connected to truth. I, you're not there. So you're not there. So what? It doesn't take away from the emes. This avoids nefillah. And every person's life, when they go through various changes and various shinuyim, this is something to hold on to. When you realize that the relationship is here, you're needed, you're wanted, and you're connected to something. And right now, it may not be about your feeling, your experience. That may not be the opportunity right now. Sometimes it's even fakert. You may be holding on to something much deeper and that's why there's no feeling. That's the key here. The truth is, when there's no feeling, usually it's an invitation to a much deeper relationship. To a relationship with the etzem. And over there, it's, there's no feeling because it transcends what you're capable of feeling at the moment. To be able to celebrate that, that's the simcha b'ashem. The mela that avoids the shinuyim, the nefilas, the vavadatasev. So somebody came over to me yesterday. They have been listening to this, uh, to the shiurim on this mimer, and they shared with me. And I'm going to quote this person almost verbatim. He says, "I can't help myself, but listening to this mimer, and I'm feeling judged by it." He said, I'm feeling judged by it. I feel that it's a judgment. And, uh, and therefore, I'm, distan- I'm distancing myself from it emotionally because I feel that it's a judgment call against me. That basically, and I don't know how to make peace with it. I don't know how to, I can't wrap my brain around this calling or demand that one should completely nullify themselves 
and that a relationship with Hashem is not even about the relationship. It's about, that's the smaller level, that's the Avazuta. The Avarabba is that I, uh, I'm not interested in the relationship in order to have a relationship, to be fulfilled, to be uplifted, to be inspired, to be sublimated. But rather, all I want is you, and uh, I seek to be nullified in that in that reality where there's no I left even. And he feels that it was it's, it's just judge, it's judgmental against anything that's lower than that, and he had a very difficult time with it. So uh, I just want to clarify that because I think it's important, very important to clarify. We often respond to ethical ideas or spiritual ideas, whether Musr or, or, or Drush or Hasidus, whatever it is, from a place of trauma, from a place of negativity. We're responding to it from that place. In other words, we're hearing it from that perspective. We're hearing it from that vantage point. And when we hear it from that place, it's very hard to hear what the person is saying because we're tainting it. We're coloring it. It's being tarnished based on our perceptions. And in life, it's always important to be able to distinguish what you're saying and what I heard you say. The two are usually not the same. What you said is what you said. What I heard you say is my issue. It has nothing to do with what you said. And as we know, quite more important than what you say is what the person heard you said, because it's almost irrelevant what you said. It's what they heard you say. And that's why one has to have that sensitivity, you know, especially with, with, with a spouse, especially with children, especially with students, I mean, even with adults, because we carry around messages, and everything we hear is filtered through that message. And especially when it comes to issues connected to religion, to God, to truth, to right and wrong, to good and evil, to moral versus immoral. Here, this is true in everything in life, you know, even when you're talking about business or money, but this is especially true in these, in these situations. And I think here is a classic example. Here is a classic example. If somebody understood that the message of Judaism or the message of religion was crush yourself be not or actually we don't care who you are the point is surrender yourself to the truth of God the truth of Torah, the truth of the community the truth of the culture, the truth of uh, of Shaduchim whatever you want, whatever the truth is but the point is surrender, conform and just fit in and I don't care your thoughts. And if you think you have other thoughts, we'll just take you for help and give you the right medication so you could become a normal person and fit into the community. When somebody hears a statement like this, it's immediately distorted based on the toxicity that they're carrying. And it's really very hard to hear this message. Because what I'm hearing is he's judging me. Here is another one who's judging me. You have to do this, and you're not like this, of course, because you're on a fallen level, because you're from the bad guys, because you're, uh, you're undeserving, you're unworthy, and hopefully one day you'll be able to do tshuva and, uh, and become a good person. So I don't know how to say this uh, emphatically enough, but one really must be able to graduate all these uh, feelings, all, these, all this guilt and all this obsession and all this toxicity, in order even to be able to appreciate what the Balatanya is trying to teach you. I think that it must be perceived and try to the best of our ability to be able to see it not from uh, as a judgment call at all, 
and, and even uh, coming from a place of compulsion and coercion. For starters, he's not here telling anybody what to do. All these madregas are all about choices. The first thing is they have to be about choices. If it's not about a choice, it's, it's, it becomes insignificant. It becomes, especially when you're talking about such a profound experience, such profound intimacy. It's, or you're talking about Simcha, you're talking about Bittal, or you're talking about Averabe, Shaloy Amanas Lekabo Pras. The Yisoyed HaYisoyed this here is, it's about a choice that a person might want to make in their life. If I'm forcing somebody, then this whole thing becomes irrelevant because you're dealing here with very profound relation levels of relationship. How is it to of course, of course. But certainly, certainly, I have a rabbi even more. Now, what do I mean by this? What do I mean by this? To say it a little bit in different words. You can't coerce a relationship. <laughs> you can't force a relationship. I know some people have maybe that experience with marriage, you know, arranged marriages. At some point, ain't us, right? The Gemara says in Kedushin, right? Kedushin has to be Midaita. <laughs> Why? It's not Stamahalacha. <laughs> it's a definition. The Gemara says you can't be Mekadesh and Isha Ella Midaita. It has to be full consent. So it's not just a din. <laughs> It's a reality, it's a description of reality. A relationship, by definition, has to be midait. If not, it's not a relationship. If you force me into a relationship, we're not relating. The whole th- There's no relationship here. The definition of a relationship means I'm relating to you, you're relating to me. But if there's no I, because you forced me into the relationship, then there's no relationship. That's why Bechira, choice, is the, is the essence, at the essence of Judaism. The Rambam says in Hilchus Tshuva, in Perikeh, that Bechira is Amud HaTorah, Yisoyed, it's the fundamentals of Torah and Mitzvahs. So in Pashtas, it's because if there's no choice, there's no reward, there's no punishment. I can't, I can't punish a, a cheetah, a tiger, or a lioness for devouring, uh, devouring the deer. That's what they do uh, genetically. So there's no schar, there's no oinus, there's no schar for a sheep for being a nice tatala and just eating grass. By a person, there could be schar, there could be oinish, because there's pchira. That's true, of course. But there's even something even more fundamental than that, and that is, there's no relationship if there's no pchira. If there's no pchira, there's no relationship. It's not that I am connecting to you. If I'm forced to do something, so then by definition there's no relationship, and you coerced me into it. I'm not even here, I might as be a robot. You tie my hands and you have me do something eat something. I didn't do it. Even halachically, the mice is not attributed to me when it's an oinus. The mice is not attributed to the person halachically. Why? They may have done it, but they did not do it. There was no eye present in it. There was no choice. There was no consciousness. There was no intent. There was no rotsam. So when you're dealing with these concepts of relationships, this has to be established. If I'm doing it because I feel horrible and I feel guilty, I'm not experiencing any of this. So when it comes to Maisa B'poyal, when it comes to Maisa B'poyal, the Gemara famously brings that if a person, if, uh, if a Goyim take a person, they force him to eat matzah, right? So Yotzu Yodei Chivasa, because the Maisa he did. When you're dealing with Chivas Halavavas, meaning issues of the heart, issues of relationships, issues of Ruchnis, issues of Neshama, 
Here by definition you're talking about a person's growth, a person's consciousness. That's number one. Number two, all these statements, he says, this is Rabbi, this is Zuta, this is not a judgment against a person. The reason is, if it would be a judgment, then, again, you're telling the person, oh, this is not good, this is good. But if a person is doing one thing because the other one is not good, then they're not doing it. They're not, again, they're not connecting. They're just trying to avoid the guilt coming from the other one. So again, they're not connecting to it. I would say more that this is, it's, it's more articulating what a soul is capable of. What a Jewish soul, I think it's a much more appropriate way of defining this moment. The Balatanya is trying to paint a picture of what a soul looks like in its deepest space. What a relationship looks like in its deepest space. It's not a judgment against anybody. It's not a demand for somebody to experience it. You cannot demand such a thing. Because if you're doing it out of demand, you're not doing it. Imagine, you force me to say, there's no I, and all I want is you, and I don't even want to be there to experience it. I can say these things by force. <laughs> They're meaningless. It's just, it's, it's, it's not, it's, say it, don't say it. It's nothing. This is completely a, by a person coming to a space, a mental space, where they experience this, and they experience it from within, and they chose, they chose it then it's significant, then it's meaningful, then it's, it's the most powerful thing, it's the most powerful thing in the world. And then it's not running away from a guilt, which by definition is not even a relationship, because you just you feel yourself even more, because you're just trying to assuage your pain and your void and your issues. It's not even about somebody else. This whole you saw it here is I have to actually be able to think about you. In order to be able to think about you, I actually have to be wholesome, because if I'm thinking about you only because I think I'm horrible, then I'm not thinking about you. I'm just trying to get away from the feeling that I'm horrible. Does anything does it make sense what I'm saying? Huh? Oh, now you're asking a good question. Now you want to know how to get out of the trauma. That's what you want to know. There's a question between the intrinsic relationship, like a father to son or Yidin to Hashem, then it is forced. There's no way to have that. The relationship is already created. Okay, that's, that's a good question. Um, there's a Svasemes. Svasemes says, uh, it's a famous question. Uh, it's a question already from the Rambam. Uh, the Mezir Chamagat asks it, Vahaft, we say every day, Vahaftas Hashem Alekech. How could you tell somebody to love? How do you tell somebody to love? Love. It's an emotion. I could command somebody to do something. Put on tefillin, put on tzitzis, give tzedakah. Okay, you're in the mood, you're not in the mood. Put on tefillin, give tzedakah. But love, love. Start loving. What, when? There's no such a thing. Love is an internal emotion. You have to work on love. You can't just love. I tell you to love, you love. It's a mistake when people think it works that way. It doesn't work that way. It's a process. And it's cultivation and so forth. What does this mean? So there's two streams. There's two streams that are discussed. The Tanya itself, there's two streams on this. One is the Maggit says that the Tzivu is on the Hizboinunus, not on the Ahava. Vavta Hashem is not love. Tzivu is to engage in a process of mindfulness, of contemplation, of meditation, which will inevitably lead to an emotion. But there's another explanation that Svasamas brings in in, in the Pasuk, and that is that uh, the love already pre-exists. The love is already existence. It's an existence. It's natural. It's an eight. The soul is a chelik alakamimal. So the question is, how do I reveal it? Can I reveal it? Now, is that called forced? Yes, I mean, I guess... 
am I forced to be a human being, not a horse? I guess, yes. I guess on some level you could say it's forced, but what I'm distinguishing is, yeah, I am, I am forced to be a human and not a horse. Okay. It would be a... Huh? Okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean... Uh, 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 a teenager came to me yesterday, yesterday in the evening, I was schmoozing with him, so... Uh, so he told me that he feels miserable about his life. I said, why do you feel miserable about your life? So he told me that he sleeps all day, mamish. He sleeps all day. He wakes up. When everybody goes to sleep, he wakes up. You know, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night, he wakes up, and he roams the house. And then, when everybody wakes up, he goes to sleep. Okay. We learned in Shulchan Aruch about mixing up Zman Shechiva with Zman Kima, so I guess we do have a source for it uh, in some people's lives. So he tells me, I would like not to feel miserable about it, but I do feel miserable about it. So I told him it's interesting. Look at a sheep. You ever watch a sheep in an enclosure, or, or, or a cow, or a goat? You give them the, past, the pasture they need, the grass they need, and they're content. You ever wonder? Carnation, content uh, of cows. Yeah. yeah. What, would if, what, what would if I would be that? You sit in one place and you eat grass, and that's it you need. They don't need therapy. They don't have existential crises. They don't have issues with their marriages. They don't have issues with their children, with tuition, with chinuch, with, with this identity. There's absolutely no issues. Yeah. The challenge is, I told them, that you're not a sheep. You have to, at some point, come to terms with the fact that you are a human being. Now, that I'm not saying it's a mile, I told them. It has a lot of chesroiness. There's a lot of mileless in not being a human being. Let's face it. Human beings are not always the best species, as we know. But you have to come to terms with it. So, yes, in, in many ways you could call that first, but I, I don't think acknowledging who you are Right, acknowledging who you are. I'll put it differently. Right, we like giving a metaphor of that which we all need, which is good nutrition. Right, if my nutritionist explains to me my blood type and says this food is poisonous for you, and this food will increase your vitality, your your uh, your energy, your alacrity, and therefore your functionality and productivity. So you might say, "Oh, I'm forced to eat this, and I'm forced not to eat this." And yes, maybe for a few weeks I may see it that way, but everybody understands when you're doing something that is consistent with who you are, right? So then, I mean, you could say you're forced, it's more you're forced to acknowledge who you are and live a life according with them. But then when you're doing that, it's not forced because you're actually allowing yourself to be fully you, to be fully, fully expressive. So I think it's extremely important when it comes to Yiddishkeit, when it comes especially to uh, discussing deeper dimensions of Yiddishkeit, beyond just of what we do and what we don't do, as he is exploring here, to have the clarity and the courage and the awareness to be able to transcend uh, trauma or, or negative feelings or negative experiences and hearing everything as a Rebbe in Yeshiva, or a father, or a zayd, or a shishiva, with the finger like this, judging you, denigrating you. Because then the whole message really becomes close to meaningless, and it's not what this person is trying to share. If you if you hear even a little judgment here, there's something you're not picking up on. Because why would he be sharing all of this? This is not halacha lamaisa how you put on tefillin, how you put on tzitzis, you forgot Krishna, you didn't forget Krishna. there's a Shulchan Aruch for that. 
This is actually, I think, always a person sharing from a tremendous space of love and sharing what a reality of a soul is. And it's almost a picture of what a soul is capable of in its deepest space. What an ultimate relationship looks like in a profound place. And as he said clearly, it's not even always up to the person himself. In other words, even when you speak about choice, it's actually what you, what reality you're capable of detecting. Right? He says, Ishmazriyat Chila is is Nekeva. Ishmazriyat Chila is Zachar. In other words, it's not even always dependent upon me. It depends what I detect. If all I detect is a chitzayniyazdika level of the Ein Saif, so then what I'm capable at this moment is something very profound. But it's still not Averapa. I'm not capable of that relationship right now because I don't detect that reality of you yourself where I completely melt away. What I'm relating to is something that still I can wrap my brain around. It's only when a person has access or is exposed to that type of, of, of depth of reality that they're even capable of feeling that experiencing, feeling that desire. Now you want to know practically how a person graduates from this place to another place. I don't know again that there's step one, two, three again. And, and again, this is not something, I think a rule book, how do you graduate? I think it's a, uh, I think the first step is being mindful of what I'm hearing. When you hear it, what is it evoking in you? If it's evoking any uh, feeling dissonance. of, of uh, dissonance, of dissonance and, and uh, who is he to tell me, even subconsciously, who is he to tell me, then you're completely not, then you're in your principal's office. If you're in your principal's office, then fine. I mean, it's another experience. But, but this is not done in a principal's office. It's not even done in a classroom. Um, even, I would say, not even on the, in the therapist's office. Uh, this is what, uh, what they do in the language of the Balatani was called Yechidus. Yechidus comes from the word Yachid or Yechida where uh, souls connect to each other face to face voluntarily voluntarily there's something I see in you in my teacher, in my Rebbe in my master, in my mentor that uh, I feel allows my soul to operate in its deepest place as I quote from Rabbi Yehuda HaLevi I feel that you are the harp through which my melodies can play or to put it in, in other words, to put it in other words, uh, imagine I could come into somebody and they allow themselves to become a mirror for my neshama. Imagine if I'm speaking to somebody and in that conversation with somebody, I see myself. You are a mirror for my soul. Now most people, when you speak to them, cannot become mirrors for your soul because they're busy protecting their turf or being impressive. Right? That's what a regular exchange is. But imagine you come in to somebody and they have the ability to suspend themselves completely and not be present in the sense, not not be present that they're not there, but not be present in the sense that they, they don't need to impress themselves on you. Rather, they're going to allow themselves to serve as a mirror for you so that through them you should be able to see yourself in a new way. That's what real Yechidus is. That's what that relationship is. So there's really n- absolutely no judgment. You have to suspend all of that. No toxicity, no negativity, no why this, why you this, why you not. And then I think one can uh, absorb it in a, much, uh, in a much more authentic and real way, the way it was said. The best was a 
You wanted to ask something? Somebody wanted to ask something? Yeah. If you look at how the Yidin received the Torah, it started... Kofa Leim Harkegigis. Kofa Leim Harkegigis. It took a very long time to Excellent question. Excellent question. I'm saying nice Torah, but what he's saying is this is 2016 liberal stuff. This is not Judaism. We all know good old Judaism is... God took a mountain, put it over our heads, and said, here's the choice. If you accept Torah, good. If not, this will be your basic Kvoris. You could come and put a kvittel on your own grave for eternity because you didn't accept the Torah. You know what it's like? As I once gave a marshal, Chazal say that Matan Torah was the chasana between Hashem and the Jewish people. Right, the last mission in Tainus, Biyam Chasunasai, said Matan Torah, but Chamisha above actually. So I said, imagine a chasan needs to propose to a kala. So he puts her under an elevator, and he says, "I would love to marry you because I'm crazy about you. You're the best thing in the world. So if you say yes, great, and if not." The elevator is coming right down on you. Now, what do you think about such a marriage? <laughs> what do you think? It's a little strange, no? Toysvis in Shabbos, Shabbos Dav Peiches, Toysvis asks even a better question. Toysvis says, they said Nasev and Nishma yesterday. She said yes! What are you putting an elevator? She said yeah! Even if she would have said no, it's a problematic issue. But she said Yes! So this makes it doubly problematic. She said yes, and you're still threatening her with the elevator coming down on her. Which obviously challenges us to understand really what this means. Okay. You want to say something? Uh, I don't want to try to answer it. I just <laughs> you could try to answer it. Further the question. The answer is it's just painting a reality once again. It's not really that it's, you know, the simple answer is it is just painting the reality. But, but to add to that... That you're a human being, you're not a horse. Yeah. Yeah, okay. That's what life's going to look like. You know, that's that's the reality of it. But, okay. but to add, the Balatani himself was a good Hagarim. I mean, before he wrote yeah. this, there was something very foundational there in learning Torah and appreciating what the mitzvahs are, keeping those mitzvahs. Yeah. And this is something that that once you've reached that darga, he was able to then come to a certain realization, a certain vacus. So in the Pesach also, I think Rashi says, well, you Dvarim I think it's Rashi. Through the Dvarim. Through the Dvarim. I mean, it's a realization. So it's not, it's not 200, it's not 2016 liberalism. It's still based on a certain amount of tremendous effort, a tremendous amount of work. And through that, and, and the truth is in relationships, it's the same thing. You know, when, when, when an infatuated young man may say, I love you to a young lady, it's not really worth much. When, when you're getting up in the middle of the night and the person works and the person invests, then there's love. So it's really a question. I think it's, you know, so are you answering a question? I, I think really making an observation that that to reach this level can only come... Oh, through tremendous work. Tremendous work. And yeah. through the you're saying that tremendous intimacy comes only through tremendous discipline... And right. the not self-work. Not as only judgment, not the principle. Right, okay, that, very good. It's corrupt a little bit. Yeah, 100%. I just want to address the kaffa. I want to address the kaffa. Okay, after... <laughs> I'm going to tell you three perspectives very swiftly, okay? But I want to focus on the third. Avart from the Maharal, avart from the Bahshamtiv, and avart from the Balatanya. They're really all connected 
The Maral says, Kofalem Harkigigis is basically a message. And that is, Torah is not a voluntary luxury asset to the world. Torah is the set Maral of Prague. It's essential to existence. When we hear the word forced, again, we're getting flashbacks. I'm going to force you to take the test. Maral hears something else in force. Forced means. It's not something the world could say, oh, if we want, we choose Torah. If we don't want, we don't choose Torah. It's like a person saying, I'm going to live without breathing. I just have a different lifestyle. I have an alternative lifestyle. It's called no breathing, no eating, no sleeping, no drinking. Right? I mean, you could say that to yourself, but you're just, you're like delusional. Punishing consequences. Uh, Yes. No, Torah is reality. It's the fabric of reality. It's the... Let's put it this way. It's the DNA of reality. Yeah, I could deny my DNA. I could say I'm this, I'm not this. Fine. So am I forced to be who I am? Yes. I mean, people go do cosmetic surgery and they, they try to change, but ultimately, in life, you've got to make peace with who you are. That's Maral's perspective, which is a, a profound perspective. There's the Baal Shem Tov's perspective, also a very deep vart. It, all, you'll see it's really all the same vart, but like always, it's said in different ways. The Baal Shem Tov's vart is that Hashem knew that in Torah, a Jew won't always be in the mood. You're not always in the mood. Every day you're in the mood. We know. If you're in the mood, wow, <laughs> welcome. But very often nobody's in the mood. I shouldn't say nobody. A lot of people. You're in the mood of davening. You're in the mood of learning. You're in the mood of, uh, of being kind. You're in the mood of doing a mitzvah. The question is how valuable is Torah, mitzvahs, tefillah done when you're not in the mood. That was kafaleim harkegigis. Kafaleim harkegigis means even when you feel that you're forcing yourself, it's mamish matan Torah. It's the experience of matan Torah. Don't underestimate that relationship. If matan Torah would have just done on a voluntary basis, so then whenever we would force ourselves, we wouldn't really have that relationship, that experience. Or to put it in contemporary language, when you are not in the mood of your spouse or your loved one, and you do something despite that, how real is the relationship? It's very real. The whole Matan Torah was kafalei markegigis, so that even when a Jew is for himself, he should know it's me'ein Matan Torah. There's a third interpretation, a third interpretation, I heard this interpretation from the Lubavitcher Rebbe himself. I said, I'll say three, I'll say four. Himself, I still remember when Yud Gimel Nisan Tov Shemem Ches, 1988. Quite, I have to say, quite daring. Now, for some reason, I think I once saw it in a sefer, maybe even from the Maharal, but I have to research it. But I heard this from the Rebbe once. He said as follows, the Medrash says that whatever Hashem tells Jews to do, He does Himself. Magid Vorov Leyakov Chukov Mitzpat of Lishon. So Medrash and Shmoy Sirabba Parashalamid, Mashahu Mitzavah Lacherim Lasses Huaisa. There's a halacha by an Anusa. If somebody inappropriately violates a woman, a girl, the is lo yuchal l'shalcha kol yamov. If she wants, of course. If she doesn't want, if she wants, he should marry her. He marries her, and he could never give her a get. It's called in English, right? You stick, you, you, eat the kasha. You made the, you made the kasha, eat it. Lo yuchal l'shalcha kol yamov. Because she was afraid, who's going to take her? So the Torah says, if she wants, besides what he has to pay, the fines and everything, he's not allowed to divorce her. Why? Because he forced her into the relationship. Hashem knew that the relationship with the Jewish people is going to get very shaky at times. 
So he wanted to put himself kivayachal in a situation where he should never be able to divorce us. So what did he do? Kafaleim harkegigis. Kafaleim harkegigis. Once it's a pchinav anusa, lo yuchal eshalcha kol yamav, gemacht. Maral says it. I thought that it says it. Name of the Maral? I thought I saw it in a sefer. Yeah. Remember that Rebbe said it was fire. There's nothing the Jew can do that God says, okay, it's time to end the marriage. Which, of course, it's not just a technical word. You know, he, he, you know, he gets stuck by a mission of the Hashem, made himself stuck by a mission of Brura or by a Shutch Sam Seifer. It's the idea, in other words, it's really all the same idea that the relationship is essential. It transcends even what you do and what you don't do. Like you can't divorce your daughter, you can't divorce your son. Some people do, but it's not what you do. A parent, here we're not dealing with parents and children, we're dealing with a spouse, so it's a chiddush. You'd give them listen, you said? It was, you know, it, it leaves an impression, this word. It was Meirich, Barich, is Gedoyelach. But I want to bring out one more word. But I think you'll read Typhus. The Gemara says something after that. The Gemara in Shabbos says, "Kafaleim harkegigis shenemar vayisyatzvu betachtis hahar." Amar Rava, mikan moido rabeloyrais. Essentially, this would mean that a Jew could say, "I was forced." Hader kibluha b'me achashverish. The time of Purim. They finally accepted Torah willingly. Shenemar, kimu v'kiblu aleim, kimu ma'ase kiblu kvar. What they once accepted, so to speak, by force, they now affirmed. Now understand what this means. From Matan Torah to Purim is how many years? The Jews go into Yisrael. There's a whole bias rishon. You're dealing with a thousand years la'erech from Matan Torah to Bay to Purim, around one millennium. So for a thousand years, the first thousand years of Jewish history, that's a third of Jewish history till today. That's not a small number. It's not 20 years. It's not 100 years. It's a thousand years. You're dealing the whole bias mission. The Malachim, the Nevi'im, the Shoftim, Moshe, Yeshua, all, everybody till after Chorba, till the end of Golos Bavel, till Purim. Basically the whole era of Nevuah, all of Judaism was Forced. Forced. And suddenly, by Purim, they said, you know what? Not such a bad idea. We like this religion. right? The Pshat is, Purim, they were typhus, they understood what the Kafaleim Harkegigis was. That's the meaning. On Purim, they understood, they appreciated what the Kafalem Harkigigis is. I'll give an example. I'll give an example again. All these examples, if a person has trauma with these examples, they won't understand it. So you have to appreciate it if it's in a healthy and wholesome way. These disclaimers have to be made today constantly. Trust me. People are not hearing anymore the messages. They're hearing what they think they're hearing, and it's not the message. That's why I make these disclaimers. Because I know from I know I speak to people, I hear what's going on. Not everybody, but a lot, a lot of people. There's a lot of anxiety with religion and guilt and, and God and, and Judaism and so forth. So here it is. 
I'm going to take a relationship. Let's take a relationship between a Rebbe and a Chassid, but one that is very, very full of trust. Not about dictatorship, tyranny, cultural oppression, uh, control of a kehillah. I'm not talking about that. And I know that exists. We're not talking about, we're talking about one that is personal. Eliezer says, Eved Avroham Anoichi. Nobody forced him into the relationship. Eliezer was an Adam Gadol. Elisha became a Talmud of Eliyahu Anavi. Nobody forced him into the relationship. These are choices that people make. I want to be yours. I want to be connected to you. Okay. Now, a Rebbe wants to send his Talmud or his Chassid or his disciple or his pupil, a real pupil, he wants to send him away for, for a mission, for, for, for a shlichus, for a destiny, whatever it is, something difficult. He calls him in and he brings it up to him and he, he tries to explain it and persuade and so forth. The man may say yes, the man may say no, he hopes he says yes and he... Uh, and off he goes or off he does not go. Okay, that's usually how it's done. I consult you. I consult you. Why do I consult you? Because there's you and there's me and I have to consult you and ask you and try to convince you. But if you say no, no. It's a proposal. What about a Rebbe who is so close to his Talmud they are beyond close. Like Mamish one. As much as it's possible humanly, of course. Is and not because of guilt or tyranny or coercion. Completely voluntary. Because I'm not one with you if it's forced. It's not called one. It's called slavery. Slavery is not one. Oneness means I chose, so therefore I am one with you. Not just I'm a robot because you called the Alam Gvar. Right? A tyrant is also everybody belongs to them, but it's tyranny. It's not it's not really belonging. But the complete this complete identification. So instead of calling him in and asking him, he calls him in and he tells him. He says, go there. No choice, no consultation, no discussion, no persuasion. And the man goes, besimcha. Besimcha. <coughs> now, let's think about this. In which situation should a person feel better? <laughs> in situation number one or situation number two? Situation number one, he consulted and he discussed it with him. Either he said yes, he said no, even if he said yes. Situation number two, he didn't even ask. He just said, or he sent him there. <laughs> or he made it, it was already arranged. On one hand, of course, in situation number one, you know, his mitzvah is part of it. But let's look at it from another perspective. In many ways, situation number two is a much deeper celebration for the pupil. We have reached such a level of unity that you don't have to ask me. You don't have to ask me anymore. It's almost like I'm an aver. I'll tell you something. I heard from a yid. I know him. His name is Posner. There were two brothers. One was a rabbi in, in, in Tennessee, uh, Nashville, for 50 years. In the shul there, he made a school called Akiva. His name was Zalman Posner. He has a brother. Zalman is of Fanelamis. He has a younger brother, Zalman Gayarin, who lives, I think, in Borough Park. Reb Label. So he told me once that they were young men in the 1940s, and the Rebbe Rayats, the sixth Lubavitcher Rebbe, called them in, and I think sent them to open a yeshiva somewhere. He was opening day schools, 
and he said open a yeshiva and he said I'm not asking you to do it I'm telling you to do it I treat you like one of the limbs of my body so when I tell my hand I don't ask my hand hey I'm giving a shir now and I want to pick up my hand you think you're good with it and my hand says one second we have to go to therapy see if you're abusive if not I don't do that why? Because the hand, L'chatchil, is part of me. If this is who my brain halt, if this is what I want to do, the, the hand is part of it. So now, so I ask you, to hear that you are considered an aver from the Rebbe Ayatz's body. For one person, it's like, leave me alone. I got my own life. But for a chassid, it's like, wow. It's, it's, his whole life is fulfilled through that. Such a dveikus with an ish ruchni, with an ish alakim, with a mani yisrael. It's the greatest compliment in the world. That you're not asking me is the greatest compliment in the world. But this can't come from trauma. It could only come from a relationship. Just like if somebody would artificially force your hand <laughs> to follow me, that's abuse. Come, pick up your hand, pick up your hand. Point, point, point. doesn't work that way. My hand is me. You're not me, Right? You're not me. So is this a compliment or not? When you're typhus, the beauty of being an aver from a goof, the hand can also say, I'm not interested in you, I want to be an independent person. So what does the hand do? Chas v'shalom, it severs itself off from the brain. It says, no more tyranny, free at last, free at last, I'm going to live my own life. Problem is, the hand without the brain is a shtick bosser. It's not a hand anymore. So when a yid is typhus, that the dveikus, like Aver me Aver Haguf with Hashem, is the deepest place, is the deepest reality. Then Kofa Aleim Harkegigis, is it a kiruv or is it a richuk? You understand? It's the biggest kiruv in the world. On Purim, it's not Pshat Purim. Something new happened. On Purim, they retroactively were typhus. What a Jew is. And Bemela, they revisited the Kafalei Markegigas. The Kafalei Markegigas was never about coercion like we call coercion. Kafalei Markegigas means you're one with me. There's absolutely no separation. For you to do Torah mitzvahs means for you to be you. You're an aver from my goof. It's like the hand following the head. It's one mitzvah. But sometimes you don't feel that way. In Purim, they appreciated who they were. When they appreciated who they were, so mikan other kiblu b'meach hashvedish means they got a hergish in the kafaleim harkegigis. They had a geshmak in the kafaleim. Wow! Thank you for not asking me. If that's the level of our unity, that you don't have to ask me, you could you could force me. What says you could force me? Because it's not force. It's not called force. Why is it not called force? Because I'm completely one with you. So then that was the greatest. That was the greatest mitzvahs. Your typhus? Now think about it and you'll see. Both explanations of the Maharal and the Balshemtiv and this, it's really the same vart. <laughs> it's really all the same vart. So Kofaleim Harkigis is an invitation to partake yes. in that type of relationship. Yes, Kofaleim, I'm inviting you to partake in this, in this type of relationship. Which at this moment you may not experience that way. You may say, you may say you're sitting with a hammer over my head because that's how you're experiencing it. Because you don't know who you are and you don't know who God is. So you're seeing is a hammer. But essentially what is happening, what is happening here is the deepest deepest unity, the deepest trust. Is this Shafim Yeah. 
Okay. The one, when we, we speak about the closeness between a Jew and Hashem, isn't there the fear that a person will just, uh, will do the wrong thing and just rely on, you know, we're good to go. So therefore, I don't have to, I don't have to do what you want, so to speak. I don't have to do what you want. You understand, you know, we're a very close relationship. You understand if I need a little bit of space, is whatever, you know, whatever justification you come up with. Right, right. <laughs> You're saying like your wife, like your wife, yeah? Like your wife. Um, uh, not forgives. Uh, a pushover. Pushover. Careless about, okay, see, that, in other words, it's important, it's significant what you do, what you don't do. Listen, there's two streams. There's the stream of Ava, there's the stream of Yir. And both are fundamental to Yiddishkeit, because I think they complement each other very profoundly, you know. Yir is what creates respect, what creates a sense of, of awe, a sense of reverence, a sense of mystery, a certain distance distance in a good way, you know, the respect, boundaries, a uh, person understands his limitations and so forth. Ava, of course, is what creates the closeness, the enmeshment, the intimacy. And uh, and both are, are important ideas, both are important emotions in life, because one is what allows a person not to become, you know, arrogant and smug and complacent. And the other one, on the other hand, makes sure that a person doesn't become dejected and, and crushed and distant completely and down and feel, you know, feel, uh, feel lowly and, and, and worthless or, or bad and dirty and so forth. And I think both of them are very, uh, are very vital, so to speak, streams of consciousness in the experience of a human being in any relationship, really, in any relationship, is the Avent, is the year, but certainly in a relationship with, uh, with the Almighty. That's number one. Number two, let's think about this in terms of maybe parents and children. We can give other metaphors, but I think, I think it'll be maybe the easiest metaphor to, to explain. Ultimately, certainly in the long term, if a person gets a message from his father and his mother, or her father and her mother, that there is a very, very deep, unconditional love, and that love is never, ever challenged, it's never eliminated, it's never going to go away, it's, it's real, it's genuine, it's authentic. I'm not just talking about lip service, I'm talking about a real experience that a child gets. What would we think would be the more logical way to assume the results of that, the ramifications? One person may tell a father and a mother, you know, you've got to be very, very careful with that, because if you express that, and your child really feels 
how deeply you care for them and attached to them and unconditionally love them, they could just uh, backstab you day in, day out, uh, week in, week out, knowing that there's absolutely no consequences. Right? That's the concern you're talking about. On the other hand, if they know that the love is conditional <laughs> and there's no extra love here in stock, it's quid per quo, you know, mida connected mida, they'll behave. What would you say to that? Is that how is that what parents should think? Would you say that? Or it's maybe the other way around. Maybe the other way around. The question isn't huh? which way is better. I think everybody agrees the other way around. The question is how do you keep it in check? Right. So the truth is long term. If you did something for me, right? And you demonstrated to me tremendous, tremendous love and affection unconditionally. Unless I'm sick or very, very dysfunctional, and then I need my own path. The normal, ordinary person won't say, he's been so kind to me, these people love me so much, let me backstab him, let me betray him because I'm going to get away with it. Right? Usually, again, I'm talking about in a healthy, but I'm not talking about a person who's traumatized and not responding based on normal cheshboinus, because then for then you need a whole extra dosage. Huh? Abardas. Say, for carrot, I want to do everything to be close to you. I want to live out this relationship. I want to, I want to breathe this relationship as often as possible. This is so precious to me. Huh? You can't do what with a small child? Your example from a father and child, if there's unconditional love, it doesn't have to be stupid to That a child will backstab you? Yeah, really? Not going to backstab you. No, he's, he's, not, he's not aware. He's not aware. He's so a child. He's a child. He's looking for better. He's not looking for better. We talk about a different condition. Interesting. I don't even think that's the point I'm getting. I think it's much more. You see a lot. You see a lot of. <coughs> You're mixing up disciplines and boundaries with. Where does a child do this? On the contrary. Probably the it's a child feel something. Something. And the child and the kid calls up, child will take the services, and they come down. Oh. Because he doesn't understand when he's child doing. Oh, that's right. That's my question. You see a lot of times the situations where your stories of people at such a high level, and all of a sudden, you know, different mom become, you know, your stories, and they, you know, didn't keep and stuff, and they... Different things that seem very, very funny. So you could answer it by just saying, oh, they're on such a high, you know, it's generally answered, it's such a high level, they have a certain connection, whatever. Is that the right, is that the right approach to that? Or or is there potentially something negative with that that high? I mean, we believe that no matter how high the level you claim to be, once you start breaking the law, it's like, right. right. So how do you how do you how, a is, how do you rectify that? And b are they doing something wrong? Is it is there a justification for it? And how do other people not fall into that same? Yeah, well, I guess every situation has to be judged individually. But I mean, it depends. You know what the message is. If the message is just that. Uh, you know, we're connected and therefore I could do whatever I want. I mean, his martial of a marriage, I think, was very good. If a person has a good relationship and then their spouse wants them to do something and they say, oh, no, 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 I don't have to do this because uh, we're so deeply connected. So then ultimately, this is something off in the relationship because this is what I want you to do. This is what I asked you to do. This is what I need you to do. 
So you may be talking about how much you love me, but really, you're, uh, you're, you're, you know, this is what I want you to do. So I think when one has that balance, one has that recognition, one has that awareness, it it preserves the the maturity of the relationship and also preserves the boundaries that a person doesn't uh, just melt away. I think there's a word from the Badichever. Rashi says, It says that Aaron did what Hashem told him to light the menorah. So Rashi says, to tell us the praise of Aaron that he didn't change. He says, what's the big deal? Well, why should he be Mishana? He was told to light the menorah. Was so he should play the saxophone instead. He was told to light a menorah. He light a menorah. So he says that when he lit the menorah, this is only the Batichava said it because he was like that. So he probably went into such ecstasy that the oil would spill and the wick would pour out the pill out and the menorah would fall. So the whole thing would have been said, despite the ecstasy, he remained, uh, <laughs> he remained loyal to his job. He did not change because his slavos could create a whole, um, a whole situation. But yeah, there's no question that, you know, this is the balance that a person has between uh, obeying between discipline and ecstasy, and both are, you know, very powerful uh, tools and streams of life. Can one potentially negate the other? For sure. But like everything, you know, every characteristic you have to, you have to measure. Huh? That's what that's what he's talking about. Oil malcha shemaya means a person has a commitment, just like a person gets into marriage. They have. You also know that it's good. Person has to understand yeah. to listen with only normal person, or with yeah. 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 So yeah. 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 It's not being communicated, or something being ignored, and ultimately there's a selfishness here too. It's like my wife asked me to do something like that, I have to be close to you. But I'm asking you to do something. I don't care what you're asking me. I want to be close to you, but but I'm asking you not to be close to me. I'm not asking you to go out and do something. Right? Pick up my sister from the airport. No, I want to be home with you. <laughs> I think it's the most like um, confused. Definition second in today's you know in today's Western world is that love is just the emotion and it isn't requiring action like we know right. Ahava is like the complete self selfless giving. This is why when you said Hashem, the way that I interpreted it is that there's action required for that. So yeah, you can say that you know we're requiring you to have an emotion, but really like if you do the action, you have the emotion. If you true, if you, I mean, we believe that. The more you do for a person, the more you learn to love. The more you love them, right? Like who does more for the child and who has greater love than the mother for the child? The mother for the child. Right. So like if you're doing something for the person, like a lot of people do, you know, all the mitzvahs, but they yes. forget about who they're doing it for. Yes. But if you remember who you do it for, then you build the love. So it's vast, you know. Before you know it, they're like, like superhuman. Something that's because they're on 
But that itself is sometimes coming from a deep void. You understand that? No, I understand. No, You're using spirituality to, uh, to uh, substitute for your lack of ability to deal with your moods or your issues. And you just lose yourself in some high, but it's not going away. And then when you sober up, it's all there. So that's, that's, that's sometimes also part of this whole issue, that it's not integrated. It's not integrated into who you are. You just, it's like a nice escape route. And when God becomes an escape route, then, uh, you know, it's something, it's not very beneficial. Because, uh, you know, he wants a relationship with you, not, not, not that you become some, uh, you know, superhuman or delusional, uh, delusional uh, person who's really not, uh, not honest with themselves and not open with themselves and not integrated. So that's sometimes itself part of that. I just want to say, when it comes to children, I think with children, it's crucial to display unconditional love. Part of unconditional love means that you discipline them. Part of unconditional love means that you teach them boundaries. Not because there's no unconditional love, but because there's tremendous love, and you want them to be able to learn what's healthy, what's unhealthy, what's appropriate, what's inappropriate, what's good, what's not good, what's dangerous, what's not dangerous. But that doesn't have to do with the fact that there's no tremendous unconditional love. I think what what gives children a tremendous sense of of self and confidence is that we do not we're not afraid of their mistakes we're not afraid of their errors we're not afraid of their moods we're not afraid of them being different sometimes so when they grow up they can negotiate with that part of themselves and not running away from it uh, somebody sent me an article a few days ago this uh, young man about communication that good communicators are people who are uh, who have learned to become I don't know if it's true in all cases but this is what this writer explains good communicators are people who have come to learn how to make peace with their less than perfect selves they make make peace with their less than perfect selves make peace doesn't mean that they don't work on it make peace means that they acknowledge it and they understand that it's part of their journey part of their life and therefore they have a certain self sense of comfort with themselves and therefore they could communicate they're not afraid to communicate communicate freely communicate communicate authentically communicate vulnerably how does a person get that if a parent is frightened of any deviation of the child and the child will become frightened of his or her own deviations. I have to be picture perfect. But if I can acknowledge, I can embrace, I can, I can create room for your own deviations, for, for, for moods, for, for flaws, for mistakes, for challenges, for problems, and realize that it has a place of respect in life. doesn't mean we don't talk about it, doesn't mean we don't have to challenge ourselves, doesn't mean we don't want to work on it. But it means we're not afraid of it because it's part of reality. Then the child doesn't have to be afraid of their own reality when they grow up. And they could communicate their own reality. When they get married, for example, or they develop friendships, they can talk about their less than perfect self. Or to put it differently, if you have a relationship with somebody and you never hear anything challenging or anything problematic about them, you should be afraid. 
because every person has problems. That means they're not communicating with you. If they only have good things to say, they're always. <laughs> that means they're not talking to you. That means they're talking to nobody or to somebody else, right? So you want a relationship with the full aspect of a person's life. So when a person displays a type of love that's not conditional on you being picture perfect, it gives people the confidence to be able to embrace all parts of themselves and work with it. And how could you work with yourself if you don't embrace all parts of yourself? If I cut off part of my system, I say, that's not me, I hate it too much, then I'm not being honest and it's going to come to bite me and haunt me. doesn't mean I have to sanctify every part of myself and make it holy, but it means I have to be able to identify it and at least put it into some context. I just wanted to, uh, I wanted to clarify that. Okay. There's a few lines left here. We're holding the parentheses on page 40. Mamash, the last few lines. That's maybe why the Balatanya wrote a Shulchan Aruch. <laughs> Counterbalance. In other memorial that he references here, he speaks about an asar de mishtani. Asar de mishtani means a space that is subject, is vulnerable to change, to flux, to shinuyim. This refers to what we call the avazuta. The smaller state of love, we called it before, Yeledes Nekeva, represented by the Noshim Daiton Kalas. Daiton Kalas means the Das is light. The Das is light. And that's why this type of Ava has Shinuyim. He said before, what was the difference between Yeledes Zachar and Yeledes Nekeva? Ava Rabba he called Zachar. Avazuta he called Nekeva. And he distinguished it between the concept of Bardas versus Das Kala. A light Das. What's the difference between a Das Kala and a Bardas? So he said the difference is if you could choose the Iker versus the Tofel, despite the fact that in when you choose the Iker, you don't remain a Yesh. And therefore, naturally, you want to choose the Tafel because over there you could remain a Yesh. But nonetheless, a real Bardas is ready to choose the Iker and not the Tafel. For this, it takes firm Das versus Das Kala, which is a Das that is light. It sways, it sways back and forth. What's the difference? A Das Kala means I don't have a strong Das. If I don't have a strong Das, so therefore... I will not choose the Iker. I will always choose the Tafel if that means that I will re- be more comfortable. I will remain a Yesh. It takes a strong Das, a Das Chazaka, to be able to say that I'm ready to transcend myself and transcend myself completely, to get lost in the experience, to, to, to not to find myself in Hashem, but to be lost in Hashem even though I don't remain a yesh in the process, because I'm looking for the truth. I'm not looking for the tafel, I'm looking for for the ikr. I remember there was once a poet, her name was Zelda, she was a very famous poet in Eretz Yisrael. 
So after the Six Day War, she wrote a poem about Yerushalayim. So she says, Kishenichnasti li Yerushalayim, she walked into Jerusalem, Shachachti Shmi. I forgot my name. I forgot my name. Sometimes you have an experience, and what she, of course, meant was that, you know, her individual name or identity melted away in the annals of Jewish eternity. When you come into Yerushalayim and she observed, you know, the soil upon which David, Shleimer, the Nevi'im, the Malachim, the Tanoim walked, and, you know, hundreds and hundreds of generations, thousands of years of Jews, she forgot her individual, her individual name. Um, and for her, that was a very profound highlight. It was a long poem about uh, what Yerushalayim did to this person. So, for a person to be able to consciously, to consciously say, that I want the Iker, I don't want the Tafel. This takes a very deep Das Chazok. That's why it's called Averabe. It's not Daitan Kala. It's not that the Das is light, the Das is swayable. The person is not, you have to be very firm for this. The person has to have a very a very deep firmness to be able to, to make such a type of commitment. This can't come from a place of, of any form of weakness. It has to, it's a choice of, of, of real sacrifice, of real transcendence. A person wants to make the sacrifice, but this this takes a very deep das. It takes a das chazaka. So here you see again, you could say, if I cared, if you're not strong, it's better, because then it's easier for you to forfeit your identity, but then it's not forfeiting your identity. Then it's coming from weakness. That's not forfeiting your identity. Then it's what we spoke about. You're just, you're being swallowed up in something. You don't have a choice, right? You tell somebody, oh, you're a nothing. You're a shmata. Just surrender to me. You're just, uh, your destiny is oppression. We're not talking about that. Fakert, this has to come from deep personality. It has to come from a das chazaka. A das chazaka, you have a firm das, you have a powerful das, and therefore you can choose, as he said before, you boicher ha'iker v'loi ha'tafel. You say, I'm ready to give up my muhus, nenem ziva shchina. This is an asar deloi mishtan. So he says, Anything that's legarme, in other words, the person is doing it ultimately for himself. There will be many changes because a person always changes. This is explained elsewhere in Amayim and Vayechi on the pasuk Chachlili Enayim. Mashenkin bepchinas Aver Rabbish bepchinas Tchar. Aver Rabbah that comes from the pchin of Tchar. Tchar in Aramaic is Zachar. Ein ba Shinuyim. It has no changes. V'nikra Eitz Chayim. This is called Eitz Chayim versus Eitz Adas. The Pasuk in Parsha Shlachta was a person, Mekoshish Eitzim, Beyoim HaShabbos. So the Zohar says, Mekoshish Eitzim comes from the word Hekish. Hekish in Gemara means compare. You learn out one thing from another thing because they're juxtaposed, like two things in one Pasuk. You're Makish Zeh Lazeh. Gemara in Kedushin, everybody knows, Davtes. How do we know that you could be married b'shtars? At the Gemara v'yotzav v'hoisa, makish havia liyitzia, mayitzia b'shtar. Pasuk says clearly, you give a get through a tar. Afavia nami b'shtar. Hekesh. Mekoshish eitzim, he was comparing the trees. Literally, mekoshish havia b'shat means either mekoshish is, huh? Gathering. Or mekoshish, some say harvesting. Or mekoshish is carrying different shittas in the Rishonim. What the what the Chilo Shabbos was? The Zoyar Hakadosh says Mekoshishes. He was making a hekish between the Eitzim. What's the hekish? He was looking which Eitz is better, Eitz Achayim 
or Eitzatas. Now here he just gives us four words and we have to understand what he means. This is Eitzchayim and this is Mekoshish Eitzah. So very briefly, we come here to a new insight that's been explained in more detail by the Tzamech Tzadik, the grandson of the Balatanya in Amaymer and Bereshis about the sin of Adam and Chava. I'm going to be brief and concise, but it fits into everything we discussed. What was Adam and Chava's sin from the Eitzadas? That's one of the great mysteries of history. What exactly was so tempting about the tree? It's called Eitzadas. Eitzadas means it's a profound tree. It's a tree of wisdom. Tree, not just of wisdom, a tree, tree of perception of Toivera, Eitzadas, Toivera. In fact, the the Rambam in Meri Nevuchim has a famous question that says he ate from the Eitzadas, they ate from the Eitzadas, and what happened? Their eyes opened up and they saw Toiv and Ra. And Hashem said, now that their eyes opened up, they saw Toiv and Ra, they may eat from the Eitzachayim and live forever. And the Rambam says, basically it seems like eating from the Eitzadas was a very good thing. For a person to know good versus evil is a wonderful thing. Every, every parent wants their child to be able to distinguish between Toiv and Ra. What's a good life and what's a bad life? What's a productive life? What's a destructive life? What's a moral life? What's an immoral life? What's a menschlicher life? What's a nishmenschlicher life? So the Rambam goes on to a long explanation what it means. There's a difference between toivira versus emes and sheker. Toivira doesn't mean what's good and bad. It means what, what feels good and what feels bad. Before Eitzadas, it wasn't what feels good and what feels bad. It's what is true and what is false. When we say something is good, doesn't mean it's true means it's good. For example, a good speech. What's a good speech? That it's true? No. Entertaining. A good meal means healthy? Absolutely not. Good meal means as unhealthy as possible. Right? I had a good time. A good time means I had a true time? No. I had a good time. So you see, Rambam says vocabulary changed. Before Eitz Hadas, vocabulary was Emes Sheker. After Eitz Hadas, the Rambam vocabulary was Toivernat, which is a very profound meditation in and of itself. But here there's a deeper element, maybe on a more spiritual level, Alpinistri, Alpikabol, Alpichasidis, and that is, Adam and Chava were not self-conscious. That's why they could walk around naked. Who could walk around naked? People who are not self-conscious. In our lives, a one-year-old baby. A one-year-old baby, or a one-and-a-half or two-year-old, runs around the house Shabbos afternoon without a pamper, and nobody blinks. Well, what happens if your 14-year-old runs around the house in the same position? Right? Oi, gewalt. Gewalt. What happened? This 14-year-old used to be a cute one-year-old baby. The shot is, when you're one, you're two years old, there's no self-consciousness. There's no self-consciousness. There's no, nothing, there's nothing, not, no thoughts and agendas associated with, 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 with nakedness. He walks around, people see it as cute. I mean, practically may not be a productive thing for obvious reasons, but uh, people even see it as cute. Not alarm, certainly not alarming. An adult, there's already a sense of self-consciousness. But with our pinkies, we're not embarrassed. Our pinky could be exposed. So the Shalos says that Adam and Chava, before the Eitz Hadas, there, there was no self-consciousness. Their bodies were simple vehicles of their souls, just like a light bulb is a channel for light. It doesn't have its own entity separate. When you look up, well here it's actually a little different. You look up, you look up at the light bulb, you see light. Yes, it's coming through the light bulb, that's true. The goof was a vehicle for the soul, so therefore just like you're not embarrassed with your pinky, 
They were not embarrassed with any other part of their body. What's there to be embarrassed? Every part of their body is part of God's plan. There's a mitzvah of tefillin, and there's a mitzvah of pruravu, there's a mitzvah of, of, of intimacy, of having children, of building a family. It's another mitzvah. What's the embarrassment of it? <coughs> Self-consciousness was created as a result of the Eitzadahs. Now, on a deeper level, it's the difference between Ave Rabbe and Ave Zuta. Adam and Chava, before they ate from the Eitzadahs, did not have Ave Hashem. You know why they didn't have Ave Hashem? Because they were completely one. They didn't have the experience of God. They had God. The reason they ate from the Eitzadahs, it says, Chava saw that the Eitz is Nechmad, the Pri is Nechmad, and Toiv, Toiv Lahaskel, it's a Geshmak. On a spiritual level, Adam and Chava wanted the emotional high, the emotional experience of having a relationship with Hashem. In other words, it was a transition from Avarabba to Avazuta. It was in a transition from, I don't experience you because I'm one with you. Versus, I experience you because I'm not one with you. There is an I to experience you. Before the Eitzadahs, there was no experience. But when there's no experience, there's no Geshmak. There's no I to experience. We're just completely unified, completely one. What Adam and Chava wanted was experiencing God. So understand that their sin was maybe one of the holiest or loftiest sins in the history of humanity. They wanted an experience of Hashem. But the moment that happened, now an ego is introduced. Once the ego is introduced, there's a little bit of a partition. True, the ego is a very spiritual ego. It's almanas la kabo pras, nen in mezivashchina. I want to be nen in mezivashchina. That's the eitzadas, awareness, perception, versus the eitzachayim, which is a tree of life. That's why death was introduced there, because death is a product of ego. Because really, a person doesn't die. Because a person is divine, and the divine doesn't die, a person doesn't die. What dies in the person is only the separateness of Hashem. That's why Yaakov Avinu Loimes, you're with me? Yaakov Avinu Loimes, because the more one identifies with the source, that never dies. The Neshama never dies. And even the Guf, as long as the Guf was one with its source, so the source doesn't die, the, pra- the, 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 the creation of it, the reflection of it doesn't die. The more distance there is, the more Misa there is. So therefore, when it says the Shittas Haramban, after Mashiach comes, there'll be Chayim Nitzchim, there won't be Misa. Why? Because the body will also be a reflection of the Divine. And therefore, there's no Misa in it. It's one. It's one with the Source. So, Eitz Hadas was the transition from oneness to experience. From Averabba to Averzut. Now, it doesn't seem like such a bad fool, let's face it. But you have to understand that this introduced the experience of experience. And the moment experience takes over oneness, life was transformed forever. Life became about experience, not about oneness. We're looking for an experience. So what one person is looking for a spiritual experience, one person is looking for a physical experience. One person is looking for this experience, one person is looking for another experience. But we're looking for an experience. Huh? That's why Noyach gets drunk after the marble. Why does Noyach get drunk after the marble? Because Noyach says, the Balatanya says this, we got to go back to a place that's higher than Eitz Hadas, higher than self-consciousness. When people are drunk, they're not self-conscious. No ego. When people are stoned, 
right? They tell you everything was they say by shikra was as often long as often strong. When people are drunk, they'll tell you secrets that they'll never tell you. That's why people like drinking. They get loose. They lose their defense mechanisms. What was Nayak's mistake? Nayak's mistake is that through alcohol, through your kiddush club, you're not going to the place that creates adas. You're just getting inebriated for a few hours. But the moment you sober up, you're the same depressed. The same result by shalashudas when Shabbos. Whenever you wake up, you're still the same depressed soul. The Gemara says Adam and Chava drank from the wine. Yeah, drank from the same wine. But they did it out of gold. They did it very naturally. Yes, 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 yes. So, so it was like it was It was part of the gold, which is good. In some ways, yeah. Why is it being punished? It's not punished. Oh, is it punishment? It's a consequence. It's a consequence. It's a con- Once Adam and Chava did this, I can't get drunk. Now I have to work through my self-consciousness. I have to work with it, through it. I can't say I don't exist. I do exist. Yes. Avoidus Hashem changed. Now the Mekoshish Eitzim was comparing which tree was greater. It's a chayim or it's a das. You know what? The problem was it was beyoyim ha-shabbos. <laughs> beyoyim ha-shabbos. It wouldn't have been beyoyim ha-shabbos. There's a maile. There's a maile in it's a das. Beyoyim ha-shabbos. Shabbos is it's a chayim. That was the problem. What's the result? The result is skilla. What's skilla? Says the Balatanya in the Torah. Your heart becomes like a... This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.